0: Into the Weird, episode 19, Revenge of the Fawn.
1: to into the weird a podcast celebrating the madness and magnificence of the mighty marvel bronze age i'm your host billy d and alongside me is my co-host herman hellstrom low how are you buddy
0: great thanks billy well great is a relative term these days right with everything that's happening in the world but (laughs) you know i'm thinking that you know we've got our friendship we've got our podcast we've got our comic books and um These things are sort of like a balm on the wound of reality at the moment, you know, with the coronavirus. How are you holding up, man? Good, good. Um, Trying
1: to just, you know, keep my uh, distance from uh, everybody just in case, you know, you never know, and keep uh, sanitizing, washing hands, all that good stuff. But, uh, you know, we're here to uh, bust out some uh, stories about some insane comics to get everybody's mind off of the the bad and with the good. (laughs)
0: Mm, I agree. I completely agree. Stay positive. And to all our friends and our loved ones out there, and everybody that's a part of Into the Weird, all you weirdos, yeah, we wish you um, the best of luck in dealing with this, you know, unprecedented event. But you know, we're here to provide a bit of uh, entertainment, right, Billy? So, like you okay. said, we're not going to focus too much on the negative, and we're totally going to go into what we're here for, which is talking about weird comics. <laughs> Oh, boy. (laughs) Now, Billy, I I know there's a lot of um, people in the horror community that now that, you know, this pandemic is happening around the world, they're choosing topics and movies to discuss based on, you know, events that reflect what's happening in real life. But we're not like that. (laughs) In fact, Mm -hmm. we're going completely the opposite direction and we're going to choose something that's totally unrelated (laughs) to what's happening in the world. I mean, unless you want to count the fact that, you know, there's lots of uh, bozos around, (laughs) (laughs) which is always going to be the case. Mm -hmm. But as it pertains to what we're going to be discussing today, hence the the bozo moniker I threw out there, Billy, is um, we're going to be talking about something we should have covered a long time ago because it falls right in there uh, into the weird wheelhouse. And that is probably the weirdest comic that Marvel has ever put out other than Dr. Strange proper, and that is The Defenders. (laughs)
1: Yes. I mean, we had some uh, people clamoring
0: for us to talk about
1: them, and it took a while, but here we are, and we're going to start out with mm, arguably the craziest story that ever appeared in that title. And that ran for, what, 140, 50 issues or something?
0: Yeah, 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 well into the 140s. And um, uh, just to give the listeners a bit of background info, Grant and I... Um, started this podcast because we were inspired by Tighten Up the Defense, which is a podcast run by Hub and Corey, where they uh, randomly threw out a line when they were discussing a Defenders issue. I think it was Defenders 4. And in that issue, there's a panel where the Defenders and Doctor Strange takes Namor and the Silver Surfer and Hulk on this mystical jaunt through other dimensions. And there's a panel saying you know, they sink into the strange, into the weird. Into the odd, <laughs> into the bizarre stuff like that. So we—that's where we took mm. our name from. Um, and of course, we decided not to really cover the defenders in depth because that is uh, being done by the Tighten Up the Defense podcast, and they do it panel by panel, and they do it really well. But Billy, you and I have decided since you know it is Doctor Strange, and we're focused on the weird comics from the seventies, Marvel Bronze Age we're going to be talking about all Doctor Strange-related titles. And Doctor Strange is the de facto leader of the Defenders.
1: (laughs) Yes, and he is on full display with his um, mightier-than-thou attitude in the Defenders, thinking he's better than everyone else, talking down to everyone else, and being quite a jerk for probably 50% of the stories.
0: (laughs) Think about it. Doctor Strange is already a dick in his own comic mag now you put him in a team where there's more characters to be an asshole too (laughs) so now he's gonna go full on but you know i've seen gerber practicing some restraint a little bit you know um Uh uh, for instance the name calling (laughs) has been toned down a bit (laughs) dr strange used to oh man he used to take people apart just with a single short summary um you know in a name that he picks a nickname that he attaches to them. But now, you know, he's, he's toned that down a bit, you know, Gerber being more conscious of that kind of thing, but still Dr. Strange is quite standoffish in his manner towards the other defenders. He frequently ignores them, right? Billy frequently just shuts them down. He turns his back on them. He, you know, lets them come and go into the sanctum sanctorum as they please, but he, acts as if they're not there he acts as if they're just part of the furniture (laughs) oh man it's brilliant so listeners we're going to get into the defenders billy um will you introduce before we talk about our personal history with the the defenders as a title i want you to just introduce specifically the issues we're going to be talking about and um just just the, the 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 issue numbers and why we picked this
1: Okay. So if anybody has been listening to us for a while now, um, you know, we had an episode a while back where we talked about our favorite wacky villains and Herman's number one was a team called the head men. And if you want to get a little bit info on them before you listen to this episode, you can go back and listen to that one. I think it's episode 11 and that was a great episode. And that was kind of a, a bit of a hint at, uh, us heading in this direction, but, uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about the Head Men, their introductory issue, and then uh, four other issues where they have their own little storyline running. So starting with issue 21, the introductory issue, we're going to cover that. And then issues 31, 32, and then 33 and 35. Now, the reason we're skipping 34 is because that is... Another uh, storyline. Don't ask me why Gerber did that. I'll have to do some research because for whatever reason, he basically had two storylines running concurrently uh, at the same time, but the headman was in the forefront except for issue 34 for some reason was another story, but we'll talk about that one eventually too. But again, harken back to our wacky villains uh, <laughs> uh, episode and uh, there's a, a Character in there that uh, we both spoke highly of that uh, is in this other storyline as well. So, gonna skip 34, but uh, yeah, 21, 31, 32. Uh, Herman, you're gonna uh, talk about those three issues, uh, encapsulating you know, three issues in one summary basically, and then I'm gonna do uh, 33 and 35. So, uh, yeah, really looking forward to this one.
0: That's right. Now, we got to warn the listeners here. We've got to do this, Billy. This is Steve Gerber <laughs> at his wackiest. This mm-hmm. is the most bizarre, the most oddball stuff that you'll probably ever read in any comic ever, mm-hmm. and um, that's why we picked it, Billy, and that's why we can't escape it, and why why it's constantly looming over us as podcast hosts of Into the Weird. We we have to talk about this story, and I'm so glad that this is the very first Defender story we're going to be discussing. Uh, uh-huh. Just because it's sheer lunacy (laughs) that that Marvel (laughs) could let Gerber get away with. this. The only thing that I'm thinking is maybe Defenders wasn't that important for Marvel at this point in time, that they just, you know, let it occupy its own little small corner of the Marvel universe. Because um, how does an editor, you know, okay any of these concepts? (laughs) And Mark Wolfman (laughs) did most of the editing and he... He's known for some crazy ideas too, but wow, <laughs> the fact that he just let these issues slide. And I'm not saying it's incoherent, but it borders on on incoherency for a while there, right, Billy? I mean, the, the, the way that Gerber just keeps throwing out cra- a crazy concept after crazy concept, uh, one after another after another, it's almost jarring. It sort of overpowers the reader, but it's right. sheer, silly, madcap fun. So um, I'm. Uh, it's going to be a pleasure to talk about this with you, Billy. But yeah. um, that being said, uh, let's get back to the Defenders as a team, Billy. Like, what is your history with the team? How did you, if you can recall that far back, how did you first encounter the team or get to know them? And what were some of your very first issues? And what do you like about them as a whole? Well, being
1: well, being a big Doctor Strange fan, you know, it didn't take long for me to be aware of the Defenders. Uh, I did start reading. Doctor Strange first and then found out about the Defenders, you know, well after the run had ended in the, uh, I think it was mid-1980s there, early to mid-1980s when the Defenders book ended. But, you know, it was after that. But I thought, oh, I have to check this out because, of course, it's Doctor Strange. And if I'm not mistaken, the first issues I read were an incredibly bizarre story as well. Not quite on this level, but it was the story, uh, it was a two-parter where the X-Men, are fighting Magneto and the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, and they're getting whipped. So Xavier mentally reaches out to Doctor Strange to have the Defenders come help against Magneto. I think you uh, (laughs) know which story I'm referring to.
0: Yes, 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 yes. Oh, that's a classic. (laughs) Oh, Oh, man, that's so cool that that was your first uh, introduction to the... Well, not the first, but, you know, um, uh, comic-wise, the ones you bought... That those were your first, Billy, because that is a great way to get into the Defenders.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I think that, uh, you know, folks uh, don't really know much about the Defenders um, from the early Marvel Bronze era because they were sort of eclipsed by other more popular titles at the time. Even though the Defenders sold really, really well, you know, they were always built as a kind of a non-team, you know, mm-hmm. so um, <clears throat> I think um, some people People, at least in my group of friends, they preferred reading teams that were more stable and established, like Fantastic Four and The Avengers, and, and once 1975 came along, The X-Men. But, um, you know, I, I remember some of my friends um, being frustrated with this title because it's quite difficult for, for, for a kid, let's say of eight years old, to read The Defenders, I'm thinking. You know, just if, if I think back... You know during my time mm-hmm. when I first read The Defenders. Now I can't remember exactly what my first issue of The Defenders was, but I remember it was uh, I think in the 40s or 50s when Keith Giffen had started penciling.
3: Oh, you know, yeah. that's
0: what some of his earliest work was at Marvel, in fact, you know, before he went over to DC and did The Legion of Superheroes. And um, he was very Kirby esque mm-hmm. back then, yep. which I liked because, you know, I'm mm-hmm. one of those folks I never had that period in time where I disliked Kirby. I've always liked Kirby and all of his imitators, <laughs> so yeah, whether it be Barry Windsor Smith or Keith Giffen or or later guys. well, well, we recently discussed we don't like Eric Larson much, even though he imitates Kirby, right, but yeah. um, you know that he he wasn't one of those very early Kirby imitators whom I adore. So, you know, because of that and because of um, the writing, you know, of the Defenders, I really liked it. But also because of the characters, Billy, because like you said, we're Doctor Strange fans. He's our favorite Marvel superhero character. Mm -hmm. And um, he was in there. And then I've always been a big Hulk fan. I'm a a huge mark for the Hulk. I collected his solo title. I love Sal Buscema's art on that. I love, you know, Len Wein writing the Hulk. And, um, you know, so I was following the green goliath everywhere in in every title he appeared in so dr strange is there the hulk is there and then you know the early defenders issues had namor so once i started back (laughs) issue hunting namor one of my favorite marvel characters and then the silver surfer um i can't say he's one of my favorite characters but i definitely love reading about him you know the silver Uh surfer even though character wise he's not very fleshed out for me i think but I like his look. I like his power set. I like the the cosmic grandeur he sort of, you know, um, hearkens uh, to. You know, that I just dig the the concept of the character rather than his, you know, personality. So, you know, uh, that core team and then, you know, the ancillary characters like Nighthawk, Valkyrie, and then eventually the Gargoyle and a Red Guardian, all of them, uh, Hellcats. Mm-hmm every single character appeals to me. So that that's very rare that you could say that of a superhero team, right, Billy? I mean, you have your favorite yeah. Avengers, but you also have the Avengers that are not your favorites. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and the X-Men are the same. You know, they. I don't think there's a superhero team that I could say I like everybody. You know, but the Defenders is one of the rare exceptions. That's why they're my favorite superhero team. Um, proper, I think... Um, you know, them, and then second would be probably the Legion of Superheroes and then the Doom Patrol. Those three kind of teams are my favorites, but the okay. Defenders is, has always been my number one. I don't know about you, what, what's your favorite superhero team, but um, that's the reason I glommed onto the Defenders.
3: We'll be back after a quick break.
0: Ever wish you could sip cocktails and discuss great books with your friends while hanging out in a rundown piano bar? Here on the Literary Guys podcast, that's what we do. I'm Dr. Gordon McAllen. And I'm author Zachary Kellyan. Each month, we discuss books from two different views of modern masculinity. From both a gay... And a straight perspective. From To Kill a Mockingbird... To future governors in the jungle trying to kill a predator. We welcome
2: everyone to join our conversation on the good and toxic of what literature and pop culture have to say about masculinity. So pour yourself a drink, and join us now for Season 3. Literary Guys.
0: That's G-U-I-S-E literaryguys.com. I see what you did there.
2: Yeah,
1: I mean, I'm an Avengers guy, but the Defenders, I think the thing, see, for me with the Avengers, only certain lineups do I really love. And sometimes when they would change the lineup, I felt like, yeah, it's not that great. But with the Defenders, like you said, they started out having Subby. And he was sort of a little bit like Doctor Strange, where he was arrogant and kind of a a a wiener sometimes but once they you know kind of exited him it wasn't too much later that they brought in the son of satan and he kind of filled that role too and it didn't miss a beat you know they brought in and you know subtracted some characters and added others but the title to me never really missed a beat until you know way 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 later in its run when you know you didn't have you know, Gerber left, and then mm. there was a little bit of a flux. But then you have, you know, David craft who did okay, and a couple other guys, and then some J.M. DeMatteis. Um, it always, you know, seemed to attract some decent creators on it, but they always could throw in, you know, different people, you know, different characters. Like I said, even Gargoyle. And it was still a solid book, and that's what I liked about it, because that to me, you didn't get that with the Avengers. Sometimes when you'd throw in some, you'd subtract. You know, if you didn't have, for me, Thor, Cap, and Iron Man there, like the team really... If you didn't have one, if not two of those, or all three, to me the the book still didn't, you know, hold water when they weren't there. Whereas the defenders did.
0: Yeah, yeah. You see, um, yeah, I agree. Uh, the thing is, Billy, that you have to remember is since we like the supernatural side of things, at least in terms of okay. our entertainment, our fiction, our comics, Doctor Strange has always been a part of the Defenders, the leader of the Defenders, or he's been at the center of every Defender story. And because of that, you're going to get some mystical stuff. You're going to get some crazy demons. You're going to get travels to other dimensions. You're going to get a lot of stuff that you and I really, really, um, you, that attract us, you know, the stories we like. So because of that, the Defenders has always been a title that, you know, went into directions that I, um you know, that appealed to me. So uh, that's probably the reason they're my favorite team. And similar to DC's Doom Patrol, you know, just because they're sort of the, um, you know, uh, uh, they're in that universe where anything can happen, you know. They're, they're dealing with the strange, with the bizarre, with the weird. Um, that's why those stories appeal to me. But sometimes the Defenders had a run-of-the-mill, you know, beat-up-the-bad-guys issue. You know the Avengers, and um, sometimes the Defenders had that too. But there would always be this element of, of, of oddness thrown in there, you know, yeah. which which made it a, a little bit different than your you know regular superhero, uh, team title. And I think recently you and I discussed the Justice League. You know, some of the Justice League issues, um, they they also went into this. Uh, this wacky side of comics sometimes, but then you know they would return and do more street level issues, and then you know I'm I, I fall off, I, I stop buying, and then I buy again when something really crazy happens. So yeah. the defenders though weren't like that, they maintained that level of uh, supernatural mystery and um, um, even horror, and that's why I kept buying them. Mm-hmm. So I've got I don't have a complete run, but I've got. Um, About 80 Defenders issues, and then the rest I bought in the the early ones that I missed, I bought in the uh, Marvel Masterworks. Uh So, you know, I've given up trying to find the key issues because they're either so expensive, you know, but but most of the later issues, I'd say from issue 47 onwards, I've got, uh, you know, all of the Defenders issues, Billy. But yeah, other than that, I just had to rely on the essentials and then eventually the Masterworks to, to fill up those early issues. But some of them I have, you know, they're just in horrible condition.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, those Defenders number one, I think the cheapest I've seen a decent copy go was 35 bucks on eBay, which is crazy. And then sometimes the Marvel feature issues, which is where the team basically came together, oh, those go for insane amounts of money. I, I gave up on those because I actually, Marvel, I think it was when. When was that? In like 2010, 2011, 2012, somewhere in there, where they started that other Defenders title, and I think the Dodsons did the artwork.
0: Oh, I didn't even keep up with that. I mean, the last yeah. Modern Defenders I read was the one done by uh, James Dimitrius and Keith Giffen when they when they did a comedy spin similar to Justice League International on the Defenders. I think that was in the early aughts oh. or mid aughts. Yeah. So I I haven't been keeping up with the Defenders because you know it it, it was it was more of a straightforward superhero team they didn't really focus on the bizarre
1: no they didn't but that when that was coming out they were trying to hype it and they put out a single issue an oversized single issue where it had the three issues of marvel feature uh, where the defenders got started and i bought that because i thought uh, you know like i said i'm never going to pay get what like you easily spend yeah you you easily spend a hundred or more dollars trying to get those three issues in decent shape so i was like nah i'll get this and i'll
0: do it <laughs> <laughs> no 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 you made a wise choice you know i i love the marvel masterworks they're very expensive they're pricey but you know if if you don't buy all of them you know if you just buy the series you like then you know they're they're worth it i think because so i've been focusing on buying the Doctor Strange and the Defenders, Marvel Masterworks, and then also, you know, the Hulk, you know, those three, and Namor, a few, you know, of the Namor ones, and then I've got a few Mighty Thors. But other yeah. than that, you know, I'm not going to, you know, blow too much uh, dough on the Masterworks because it's very pricey. Right. Um, but, you know, I find that their uh, reprint quality is, is very good. Um, and, you know, the art really pops when you, you buy it like that. So, yeah, you know, they usually
1: do a good job with the restoration on those. They're, they, I mean, some of the other trades, they do some goofy stuff, but the Masterworks, they usually make sure they're top of the food chain.
0: Yeah, that's right. And, um, you know, they've been continuing on with it, whereas DC has long since canceled their archive uh, collections, which was sort of their uh, for, version of the Marvel Masterworks. So, you know, I yeah. think Marvel's still successful in that regard. But, you know, Billy, they don't have a, a big print run, of the masterworks, so you got to kind of snap it up when you can. Otherwise, you know, if, if uh, the big retailers stop, you know, uh, keeping it in stock and it goes onto eBay, you're going to be paying through the roof for those masterworks. Uh-huh. So I kind of try to get them early. But in terms of the, the this run, the listeners could probably read them in, um, you know, the essentials if they're or on Marvel Unlimited. Yeah, Um, Because I I don't, like you say, the the back issues might be expensive. It's doable. You could get them. But I think your best bet would be picking up some um, Defender's Essentials and then maybe the Masterworks if you want. But Marvel Unlimited will have all these issues that we discussed. So, Billy, we're talking about issue 21 and then 32 to 35, and we're skipping issue 34. And, um, uh, you know, listeners, I'll be giving the synopsis of the first three issues which I've prepared, Billy, and then we can get right into talking about this craziest of storylines, <laughs> which we'll just, we'll just call the Headman Saga. <laughs> All
1: right. <laughs> it
0: doesn't have an official name. All right. So, Billy, are you ready for this? I'm ready. Okay. I'm going to start with the synopsis of issue 21, 32, and 33. So here we go. The Defenders, issue 21. While Doctor Strange and Nighthawk bid farewell to the Thing, who recently adventured with them, and while Valkyrie deals with her new life in the body of Barbara Norris, a placid hulk walks the suburban streets, watching children at play, he runs afoul of an irate parent who objects to the jade giant interacting with children, which results in the hulk earthquake-punching his house and reducing it to rubble. A sinister figure from across the street slinks away from the commotion and enters the house, and this figure is revealed to be Dr. Arthur Nagin. He greets his cohort, Dr. Jerry Morgan, and we are introduced to the first two members of the Headmen. Their scheme is fairly simple they create a distraction to loot the Jewelry and Diamond District in Manhattan in order to procure the fortune they need to fund their head related experiments. For this, they recruit the third member of their sinister squad, Chandu, the mystic. And with a serum to boost his brain power, Chandu sends New York into a nightmare induced frenzy. With the citizens seemingly going mad, the defenders step in to save the day. Nighthawk encounters the simian form of Dr. Nagin looting the Diamond Row of Manhattan, but he is defeated by the villain's gorilla like strength. The defenders are left perplexed at the end of this tale as the nightmares fade all around them. Then we cut to issue 32. Nighthawk is captured by the headman while the Hulk rescues a baby deer from some hunters. This is important, listeners, so take note. This baby deer, (laughs) this fawn, will play a big role. Then the elf with a gun disguises himself as a Johnny Cab driver and perforates two tourists in Las Vegas. Completely unrelated to the headman story, but I had to put that in there. <laughs> then the headman surgically transplant Chandu, the mystic's brain, into the body of the captive Nighthawk. The Hulk leads Nighthawk Chandu, which we're going to call him from now on, to Doctor Strange's Sanctum Sanctorum, where Chandu bites off more than he can chew by tackling the Sorcerer Supreme. Stephen humbles the bodyjacker in an epic Sorcerer Smackdown, and then we cue to issue 33. In issue 33, defenders determine that it is Chandu's mind that now inhabits the skull of Nighthawk. We are introduced to the fourth and final member of the Headmen, Ruby Thursday, the freakiest of them all. Yeah, one of our favorites. (laughs) And she almost made the list, right, Billy? (laughs) Sort of Mm -hmm. made the list on our weirdest, wackiest villains episode.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) But then after her introduction, uh, Stephen Strange uses a bit of sorcery to track the Headmen to their lair, in the suburban neighborhood to the house located directly adjacent to the one that the Hulk totaled back in issue 21. And then the defenders are greeted by Ruby Thursday's exploding head. And the issue ends with the comatose forms of our heroes as they are now captives of the hideous head men. All right. So really, that's my storyline summarized a little bit Uh, in a lengthy fashion, but it's three issues in one, listener. So I hope you'll forgive us for that. So, Billy, before we do your synopsis of the final two issues, let's talk about these three issues. Uh, To give a little bit more detail, I'm quickly going to give the details, then we're going to discuss the covers. Um, The first issue I summarized was Defenders uh, issue 21, and that was published in March of 1975. And um, the editor was Len Wein on this one. Written by Steve Gerber, penciled by Sal Buscema, inked by Sal Trapani, and lettered by John Constanza with the colors done by George Russo. And as we say, listeners, you can find this in the Essential Defenders uh, Volume 2 um, trade paperback. Or if you want to, like I say, blow some cash, you can find this in the Defenders Masterworks Um, And that is, if I'm not mistaken, let me check my shelves here. can't believe I didn't prepare for this. (laughs) Oh, this is in the Defenders Masterworks Volume 3. Yeah, Mm -hmm. sorry, I had to just get this off my shelf. So um, then, you know, the second issue I summarized is much further uh, down the line. It's issue 32. And this was published in February of 1976. So almost a full year later. And uh, the editor this time around is Marv Wolfman instead of Len Wein. And uh, again, written by Steve Gerber and penciled by Shal- Sal Buscema. Uh, this time the inks are done by Jim Mooney and lettered by John Costanza, colorist Peter, uh, Petra Petroskotes, And this you can find in The Essential Defenders, Volume 3. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the subsequent issues that you and I are going to be talked about it will also be found in that essential Defender's Billy. and if you want to uh, read them in the Masterworks this will be Defender's Masterworks Volume 5 and there you can read issues 32 to 33 um, so that's probably you know as much information as I can give at the moment and then I think um, when it comes to the following issue issue 33 which I summarized Uh, Not much has changed. Um, We've still got the same writing team and with the same inker, but the letterer in issue 33, Billy, is uh, Annette uh, Kwecki. I don't know exactly how to pronounce her name. And then colors by Phil Rachelson. So the inkers uh, stay the same. Uh, The pencilers, of course, the writer stays the same. But the letterers and colorists sometimes change up. So I just thought I'd give them credit. Um, Okay, now the covers are mostly done by Gil Kane, uh but some inkers vary like issue 21 and issue 32. You've got Gil Kane doing the cover with inker Klaus Jansen. But issue 33, the inks are done by Frank Giacoya. Alright, Billy, so uh, that's as much um, technical uh, information I want to impart. Let's talk about the covers. The covers to the cover to issue 21 is first, and um it's got uh, quite a striking cover um with the title Beware the Black Rain. So what did you think of this cover?
1: Um out of all of them we're talking about, this one's my least favorite. Uh it's it's okay, you know, it's not bad or anything like that. It's just I'm not a big Klaus Janson guy except I really love the stuff he did with Frank Miller and then by, you know, himself artwork wise on Daredevil. That's that's great stuff. His style really fit that. I just don't feel like his style really fit this book to be honest
0: right 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 well i mean um i think the next cover we're going to be talking about which is the cover to issue 32 where he also did the inks on Gil Kane, there that one's a little bit better right but yeah, for um, sure. yeah this one's definitely the weakest of the covers i do like it though because it's got this kind of uh, you know the crowd behind the hulk the hulk's facing Doctor Strange and Valkyrie and, and Nighthawk in a sort of menacing way and then the crowd behind him looks like zombies um, you know who's going to def- attack the defender so it's a, a cover that sort of sets the stage uh, but like you say not, nothing special or spectacular about it but it's definitely a cover that I'll pick up and I, I want to read what's happening in here
3: mm-hmm. and then
0: it's got an ominous title like Beware the Black Rain which sounds very you know horror centric to me yeah. But Billy, then let's quickly head over to uh, issue 32's cover. This one is is better. I, I dig this one more. What do you think about this cover?
1: Yeah, this one's definitely better. I, I will say that, yeah. I mean, like I said, it's just, yeah, it's, I don't know, like I said, Klaus is a little up and down for me, you know. Yeah. He's a, a more of a heavy-handed inker, and a lot of his stuff ends, that he inks ends up looking more like his work than the penciler's, but it's definitely better than the previous one.
0: Yeah, you can see more of Gil Kane coming through in this cover, though, but not, you know, it's not full on Kane. Like you say, Klaus Jansen does have his uh, heavy ink inks that sort of uh, showcases his style more than the pencilers. But um, in this case, I like the, the way that the cover was presumably designed by Gil Kane. You know, you've got this image of the Grim Reaper sort of uh, standing behind Nighthawk, who's looking at the reader and exclaiming, no. And then the Hulk and Doctor Strange and Valkyrie is creeping up behind him, seemingly to rescue him or to support him. We don't know, but it's got the secret origin of Nighthawk plastered on the page, which is something, yeah. you know, I think fans of Nighthawk back then would be interested in. Now, Nighthawk has always been my least favorite Defender, but he's so compelling, which shows you how much I love the rest of the Defenders because I still love him. I still like his character so this this would also be a cover that I would have immediately have picked up off the stands and say, Oh, I wanna learn more about Nighthawk. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, at this point in time we didn't know much from you know about him other than he used to run with the Squadron Sinister. You know, mm-hmm. so um you know, if you hadn't been reading from the beginning, from from the get go, this this like you know, I wasn't reading from the beginning when I was a kid. I was picking, you know, these issues up sporadically. This would mm-hmm. definitely have appealed to me. But like you say, again, it's not the best cover we've ever seen. I mean, you and I were more used to Frank Brunner's you know, covers, you know, so you can't even compare, right, Billy? Yeah. But then the next one has got uh, a very, very interesting setup. Uh, the the cover to issue 33, Billy, has got the headman on full display.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, this time it's inked by Frank Giacoya, and I think he does a great job. Uh, Gil Kane's Pencil Shine... You know, through on this one better, and even though I'm not a Kane fan, his covers are impeccable. So, mm-hmm. what did you think of the cover to issue 33?
1: Uh, this is my favorite one out of the bunch. Yeah. This is, I think, this is the first issue of this storyline I ever bought, single issue. So, yeah, love this one. A lot of sentimental value, even if it wasn't awesome, but it still is awesome. So,
0: nice. <laughs> I really love
1: it. Really love it.
0: Havoc is the headman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Great great cover title there and uh you know you've got ruby thursday there you've got dr arthur Nagan, and then you've got dr jerry morgan and uh, just to describe them to the listeners of course i'll post these images of the covers on um the our blog right billy but just to mm-hmm. describe it to the listeners who aren't privy to the blog um dr arthur Nagan, as we discussed in our wacky villains episode he's a man with the head of a human on the muscular body of a gorilla so he's got a human head and a (laughs) gorilla-like body and then dr jerry morgan shrunken bones uh which is his nickname is a man who's shrunk his skull which left his skin sagging you know so he's got these pouches of flesh hanging from his tiny skull uh Mm -hmm. making it look like like a man whose face has been melted and then you've got ruby thursday who's dressed in this very sexy sort of almost like a, a you know a disco type uniform and then she's got this high collar with this giant red bowling ball for a head <laughs> <laughs> and then you know uh, Dr. Negan's fiddling with his machinery and the defenders are clamped to these um, tables and it looks like they're wearing like billy doesn't it look like (laughs) like they're being (laughs) subjected to rock and roll therapy (laughs) oh man that's a great cover okay Mm -hmm. so that's the cover out of the way billy now we're going to get into the meat of the thing the stories the the, what we're dealing with here let's let's discuss briefly the events in uh, defenders issue 21 now i summarized Mm -hmm. them but there's lots of stuff happening that we we just got to talk about what struck me is, you know... Okay, the setup. The the most important thing that happens at first is the Hulk. You know, he's just strolling around the suburban neighborhood... Watching the kids jump rope and play hopscotch. <laughs> <laughs> With this goofy grin on his face. Mm-hmm. And then you've got this one guy... This parent who finally notices this giant... Walking among the kids playing in the street. And he... He decides to run full speed at the Hulk and tackle him. (laughs) (laughs) He just bounces off the Hulk. And then you know what happens. Because of that, he irritates the Hulk and the Hulk smashes the ground. He would have killed this guy, but the guy rolled out of the way, right? The Hulk was aiming for him. Mm -hmm. And then the shockwave of the Hulk's ground punch, you know, it just completely destroys this guy's house.
1: Yeah, his double axe handle blow.
0: <laughs> exactly. Now, we'll see this guy, this <laughs> nabe, this this suburbanite return later on for some comedic uh-huh. effect. But this yep. little girl, she sort of chases the Hulk away because at first she liked him, you know, uh, saw him as a friend, but now that he's destroyed her house and, you know, uh, distressed her daddy, she wants nothing to do with him. She says, I hate you! And she pounds on the Hulk, and the Hulk feels sad and he I cries. Just, yeah. He cries. I just hate <laughs> Sad Hulk and the Defenders, man. They just, this guy's feelings are constantly being tormented by everybody from Doctor Strange to Valkyrie, even to Valkyrie's husband, you know, um, what's his name? Jack Norris. Jack Norris.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, man.
0: I mean, everybody just picks on the Hulk. And sometimes yeah. it's, it's not that they're picking on him. It's just like they, they say something that they should know is going to hurt his feelings because he doesn't understand what's happening. And then it does, it ends up hurting his feelings, and then they're just like, oh, well, he's the Hulk. He'll he'll leap away and come back eventually. So they're taking the Hulk for granted here, man.
1: Yeah, he's hot or cold. He's He's either pissed off or he's either crying. Like, his dialogue when that guy tries to tackle him is the best. So stupid, dumb, puny human tries to spoil Hulk's fun same as always (laughs) he's gonna kill the guy yeah
0: (laughs) and when hulk gets mad hulk smashes (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah this is the very like stupid dumb hulk hulk smash
1: hulk it's not any kind of like he's smart or he's like fun or anything nah that's not how they write
0: him (laughs) yeah yeah this is the old classic hulk yeah i kind of like this hulk you know of course the more sinister conniving hulk that i'm reading these days and that i read in the joe Fixit years but Also, the modern Hulk in the Immortal Hulk series by Al Ewing, he's the more sinister, cunning, conniving Hulk. Mm -hmm. I like him, too. But, you know, since I'm a Bronze Age fan, this is my favorite Hulk, right, Billy? And I do like it when Hulk flies off the handle (laughs) because of some misunderstanding or, you know, um, because of his lack of intelligence. That's my Hulk. I, I like him. Me, too. Yeah, animalistic, brute force Hulk, you know, punching makes right, <laughs> that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. But then we're yep. introduced to Dr. Arthur Nagan, who kind of slinks away from this um, suburban chaos. And, uh, you know, he immediately enters this this house, which is the lair of the headman. And then we get to see shrunken bones, Dr. Jerry Morgan, who's <laughs> fiddling around with some chemicals. And then they hint at the scheme that they're planning, which is, in mm-hmm. fact, you know, as we mentioned in the synopsis, basically to steal diamonds, from mm-hmm. Diamond Row, as they call it in, in Manhattan. This, mm-hmm. this chain of jewelry stores and or this uh, street full of stores. And they employ Chandu, Chandu the Mystic. Now, listeners, to remind you, you, you can find all this information in our episode 11, Wacky Villains episode. But, you know, to remind you, these three characters, Dr. Jerry Morgan, Shrunken, shrunken Bones, as he's known, Dr. Ar- Arthur Nagin, the Gorilla Man, and then Chandu the Mystic, they're all from uh, old Marvel uh, horror titles, um, mm-hmm. which uh, Gerber sort of salvaged, or he salvaged the characters from them. So um, I'm just quickly, Billy, to to um, give the listeners a bit more detail. I'm going to give them a quick summary of them. Um, mm-hmm. Dr. Arthur Nagan, the Gorilla Man, he appeared in Mystery Tales number 21, which was in September 1954, in a tale called It Walks Erect. <laughs> and, and yeah it walks erect. <laughs> wow. <laughs> now, you, just to remind you of his origin, he was a surgeon who specialized in uh, surgically grafting animal parts onto human bar- bodies and then he was experimenting oh. on the great apes and the gorillas in in Africa. So, uh, a race of intelligent apes kidnapped him and in ironic revenge, they <laughs> transplanted his human head onto the body of a great ape <laughs> to get revenge. Yeah. So that's how he became who who he is. And then Dr. Jerry Morgan was a sort of Hank Pym-like figure. He first appeared in Worlds of Fantasy number 11 in April 1958 in a, a story entitled Prisoner of the Fantastic Fog. Now, in that story, he invented a type of mist a type of fog that could shrink you so he didn't shrink himself and he was just a a normal scientist who invented this fog and then he used the fog to you know to horrific effect on this uh, guy who tried to sort of strong arm him this criminal but you know it seems that Gerber has taken this to its extreme right Billy he has concocted this story or this this backstory where this Dr. Jerry Morgan accidentally used the fog on himself and it shrunk his skull so that now his flesh, flesh sags in a kind of Jabba the Hutt-like, uh, you know, <laughs> visage. <laughs> on, on his, uh, his appearance is kind of like that, a thin Jabba the Hut with all the fleshy folds, you know, emanating from his face and neck, but with mm-hmm. the, the normal body of a human still. And, you know, the, the art on that issue... Uh, of worlds of fantasy was done by angelo torres from mad Ooh. magazine fame yeah it's, it's wow. quite a good issue i I'd, I'd urge you to seek it out if you can and then chandu the mystic he first appeared in tales of suspense number nine in may of 1960 in a story called the wrath of chandu and that was <laughs> written by stan lee and his brother larry lieber and um a brother-in-law his brother or brother-in-law no brother brother you're yeah. right story, you're right. brother you're right you're right artist Doug Wildly, and um, that was a good tale too. It's basically about this stage magician, Chandu, who uh, does stage magic and stage tricks, but he in fact turns out to be the real deal. And, um, you know, when people attack him in the street, he sends them off into this mystic limbo. (laughs) He banishes them. So he's got actual (laughs) mystical powers. And Mm -hmm. the the reason why he's part of the headman is because of his giant turbaned head. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So all of them have head-related injuries and Head related trauma. That's why they call the headman. <laughs> so that's a bit of background right. for you on the headman folks. So Billy, he, what happens he then? Though, yeah. He,
1: chandu though, he has my favorite uh real name out of all three of them. Yeah. Harvey. Well, <laughs> Harvey Schlemmerman? Oh yeah,
0: Harvey Schlemmerman. <laughs> yeah, that's his real name. <laughs> How did he come which up makes, with Chandu? Yeah, which makes which makes
1: no sense. Because he is portrayed as like a white dude with like a goatee. But he wears a turban like he's from the Middle East. So I don't know how Harvey Schlemmerman (laughs) figures into that getup. But, hey, what do I know?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I guess it's just his stage act. But, you know, like we say, this guy is the real deal. He doesn't just have stage magic. He can actually do real magic. And we'll see that later on when he, you know, well, still, he's not on the level of guys like Doctor Strange. He's going to get learn that lesson hard, right, Billy? But, um Yeah, they're introduced in this issue for the very first time in their quote-unquote modern form. And Mm -hmm. um, then they uh, perpetrate this heist. But Billy, it it bears mentioning that they have this serum which uh, Dr. Nagin and and Jerry Morgan developed which can sort of boost Chandu's mystic power. And with that serum, Chandu sort of causes this black rain, which is the psychic nightmare-inducing rain that uh, permeates the the conscious minds of the New Yorkers, uh, seemingly Mm -hmm. the entire New York. So this is quite powerful stuff. And uh, they all go mad and they try to commit suicide. Some of them, you know, leap off of skyscrapers and buildings and the Hulk is affected. And the, and uh, Dr. Strange is the only one who's sort of like keeping his cool and his sanity. And then Mm -hmm. he sort of marshals the rest of the defenders to, uh, you know, try to combat this plague. But uh-huh. the only one who goes toe to toe with the headman or one of the headmen, in this issue is actually Night Hawk, right? Uh-huh. He sees, well, as he's flying over the city, he sees Doctor Jerry Morgan looting this jewelry store, and then he tackles, takes him, takes him on. But uh, it seems that Doctor Jerry Morgan is a little bit too much for old Kyle Richmond to handle,
3: uh-huh.
0: and he slaps him aside with his giant bag full of diamonds. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, that's, that's great. So even though, you your listeners, you have to remember, at night, Nighthawk sort of has the strength of two men because mm-hmm. of a serum he took. Um, and uh, even that is not enough to deal with Dr. Arthur Nagin, this gorilla man. And that's that's sort of like the only thing that matters, right, Billy? They get their funds. The headmen get the funds necessary for, you know, continuing their experiments. And that's yeah all that we hear from them for at least another 11 issues, and that's when they show up again in 32. (laughs) So, Billy, let's talk about issue 32. This is where we get really get into the Hitman storyline. What happens in the very beginning that's quite disturbing?
1: Well, so (laughs) in 32, the first thing you see is um, a splash page where... uh, the defenders are all standing around, or I'm sorry, are, are you, do you mean 31?
0: Oh, sorry, sorry. Do I you, mean, 31, sorry, yes. yeah, 31. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, my yeah, yeah. bad, my I, bad. I,
1: I, that's okay. I was like, oh, wait a minute. But yeah, so what happens is <laughs> in, in issue 31, we see that, you know, basically out of nowhere, like th- there's a couple other like little subplots, like Valkyrie and you know, her, not Valkyrie herself, but the body she's inhabiting that woman was married to a guy named Jack Norris. So there's a bit of a subplot there with the two of them, but you see Nighthawk and he's kind of having these weird flashbacks and he's flying around. And because he's having these flashbacks, he's not watching where he's going. And he, he flies straight into a tree and almost <laughs> knocks himself out. <laughs>
0: oh and man. Then,
1: yeah. You see a, uh, a hairy hand shooting with a tranquilizer. And then like I said, it switches to the Jack and Val storyline. And then my favorite part of this entire issue, we see the Hulk and he's at a game preserve watching a mother deer and her fawn at a game preserve where, you know, you can't hunt there. Well, you get these two like meatheads that are getting drunk and shoot the mother deer and the Hulk goes absolutely berserk because they killed Bambi's mother. As he says, apparently he's been watching some Disney flicks, the Hulk. And I'm sorry, they try to act like this is not a big deal. But look at these panels. He kills these two guys.
0: Definitely. I mean, they, well, the one guy, he's still struggling, you know, okay, uh, listeners, we we have to describe this to you. He attacks the hunters and he grabs the gun off of one and chokes, (laughs) he wraps the gun around the guy's throat. Right, and then the guy is still shown struggling when the Hulk departs. But yeah, by rights, he should have killed him because he strangled him with this metal gun that he wrapped around his throat. The, the mm-hmm. second guy, believe there's no way he could he could be alive, even though the nope. narration by Gerber, the, the the caption boxes says he's still alive. There's just right. no way. I mean, it's des- BS. Describe yeah. to the listeners what <laughs> he did with this guy.
1: Well, like I said, he, it shows the Hulk charges these two guys. And the panels, it's three, six, only an eight-panel page. But the first one is the two hunters try to shoot the Hulk, which, of course, isn't going to work. And there's only one word in each panel, which is great. It says, speechless, and the, uh, describing the men. And then it says, defenseless, as the Hulk grabs the rifle or shotgun or whatever off of the one hunter. And then it says, breathless. Well, if you're breathless, you're dead. So he wraps <laughs> the gun around the guy's neck like a bow tie. <laughs> And then the other, the other guy, the other panel says, "Shameless." And that guy's on his hands and knees, like praying, like begging for the Hulk to not kill him. Oh, damn! And it says, "Helpless." The Hulk picks the guy up, throws him across a like a lake or a pond, like you would skip a rock, and the guy head first into a tree. Crack is the sound effect. So they're dead. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, <laughs> uses dead. that second guy as a, skip, a skipping stone. But mm-hmm. he hits the tree full force, you know, yeah, head, head first. There's no He's way. dead. Yeah. Yeah, and, so and, then the
1: next page, though, is the best, the Hulk. And I. this is something I do like about the Hulk. Like, I do like, you know, Hulk, Smash Hulk. But I do like that that they show him, and Gerber does this more than once with him. He shows him as, you know, yeah, he might get pissed off and smash stuff sometimes. But he also shows him as, as... You know, children are, and let's be honest, as we should all be, even as adults, as as very caring. You Mm. know, he, he really he has he has the might have, you know, the intellect of a child, but that works in his favor where he doesn't hold any prejudice and he he cares about people and he cares about animals and he really cares about this fawn now that doesn't have a mother. So he kind of adopts
0: it. <laughs> yeah, he immediately adopts it. And then he doesn't, he, he admits he doesn't know how to take care of a little baby animal like that. So he's going to mm-hmm. take him to someone who does, a smart person. That's a what smart he says. Person. Oh, man, that made me feel some kind of yeah. way, you know, like my, my emotions got all clogged mm-hmm. up here. And But, um, you know, uh, then we get to the more horrific part of the issue, right, Billy? Where <laughs> Nighthawk <laughs> awakens on the surgical table on you know the uh-huh. slab and he's been you know chained to the slab and then you know the you've got the headmen leering at him from the shadows and he's saying uh-huh. what do you intend to do with me and they say oh well nothing much we're just gonna be transplanting chandu's brain into your skull uh-huh. and then naitok says what and he says but but but, what about my brain and dr uh-huh. nagan just looks at him in a sinister way with these arched eyebrows, and he says, oh, uh, that, well, unless we find some other use for it, I imagine we'll simply toss it away. (laughs) And then he's got the scalpel, and he's approaching menacingly. (laughs) Oh, Uh whoa. And then, you know, that's it. We We don't see the surgery, but yeah, there's no help coming for Nighthawk at all.
1: You know, and then a completely Gerber thing on the very next page. A caption box, strange interlude and here we here we go back to the uh, Wacky Villains episode my number five, the first guy that let it off we see just a random guy and his wife leaving a Vegas casino and get into a taxi cab and they start yelling at the cab driver because he's not doing what they want and the guy's head pops off because it's a dummy but underneath the dummy head is the elf with a gun and he just <laughs> shoots them
0: Oh man, but first, I mean, there's some dialogue here, right? It's like, oh, it's great. okay, now in my synopsis, I said he, the Alpha the Gun, disguised himself as a Johnny Cab driver. Now, for you, you know, oh, yeah. sci fi aficionados, <laughs> Schwarzenegger fans, you might recall the movie, well, recall the movie, Total Recall, where these Johnny Cabs are driving people around. Now, he looks at this, this disguise as a Johnny Cab driver. Yeah, it's like even the, the head that pops off, the way, you know, this body set up yeah. and then the alpha the gun popping out of the Johnny cab driver's uh, you know um,
1: torso torso yeah that?
0: was it a torso yeah and then he says well the wife of the guy says how could a dummy drive a cab <laughs> Charles I'm Charles. frightened
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no listen man. her
0: dialogue gets crazier right now the alpha the gun pops out and he's saying that's the first intelligent thing you've said all night Francis <laughs> so he's like Playing with these folks before he kills them and then the woman says oh charles hold me hold me i think i'm going to faint <laughs> oh man and then they identify him as an elf and then um he says I, what is it what is it and he says it's goodbye charles and he points the gut at them and then just a final panel blam blam <laughs> blam <laughs> oh man this is great oh. only gerber can get away with stuff like this i'm telling you
1: mm-hmm. craziness it's just, and like we we explained that in that other episode too. the elf with a gun so if you don't know what the elf with a gun's all about go back please go back to listen to episode 11 because that'll you'll really know what the headmen are kind of about and the elf with the gun are about
0: and this <laughs> this will make a lot more sense to you oh <laughs> damn and then you know, cut back to the Hulk leaping across the New York skyline with, with the Bambi in his arms. And then he encounters Nighthawk. Now, listeners, at this point in time, this is the quickest surgical recovery ever. I mean, they literally probably just five minutes ago, they transplanted Chandu's brain into Nighthawk's body. And he's already up and about flying around. So this Arthur Nagin guy, he's a surgical genius, <laughs> right? Obviously, he has to be. So Nighthawk's flying around Chandu's brain in in Nighthawk's body, and he's um, cruising around just waiting for the defenders to show themselves. Now, at this point in time, Billy, we don't really know why they've targeted the defenders yet, because obviously they didn't do their research on the defenders. So this is sort of just a scouting mission. They they need the defenders for something, but we don't yet know what. So um, Nighthawk encounters Hulk. And then uh, Hulk says, are you also going to Dr. Strange's hideout? The magician. the, magician's the magician's house. <laughs> <laughs> and then Chandu's completely like, what, magician? Oh, sure, yeah, 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 I'm going there, my friend. And then yeah. he just ends up following the Hulk all the way to, you know, the, the Sanctum Sanctorum. And that's how he gains entry. Now, Billy, the next few panels are totally insane. You've got Stephen standing in front of this brazier filled uh, with mystical okay. flames and there's this man and woman coming out of the flames sort of like a 3D dungeons and dragons game and then mm-hmm. they're approaching each other now you don't know what they're going to do to each other but it looks like they're going to embrace or or they're going <laughs> to get down to the to bumping bumping uglies here because that's what's happening and then steven yeah. Okay, you'd think he's the sorcerer supreme. He's obviously exploring other worlds or, or doing something important. No, when Wong approaches him and announces that he's got visitors, Steven say, "Ah, typically they've arrived at my recreation time." So what was he about to do, having these two little fiery figures do a sexual, like role playing? I don't know what what he was doing. <laughs> He he was gonna pull like a
1: Superman and Big Barda is what he was gonna do here with these
0: Damn. these
1: funky yeah. whatever the heck they are like he conjured up like he basically conjured up like a mystical porno here yeah and Wong walks in on him.
0: exactly <laughs> what a <dude>. creep. yeah <laughs> you know and and um, oh man you know what this made me think of Billy now I don't know how far you read into Alan Moore uh, Swamp Thing run right but there's this huh. this story where. Matt Cable, you know, he's got this uh, reality warping psionic power. And uh you know, he he's a drunk, so he uses this power to conjure up these fantasies. You know, so he conjures up these fairy women and to pleasure him since you know Abby's on the outs with him because she's hanging out with Swamp Thing getting some of that mossy moss, mossy love <laughs> tuber love in the in the swamp. So she's like abandoned Matt and he's resenting her. So he conjures up these, these lit, literal sexual fantasies that become real, you know. Mm-hmm. So this reminded yeah. me of that. So a magician of Steven's caliber, he's amusing himself, getting his kicks by conjuring up these uh-huh. little figurines that, you know. Uh-huh. Oh, man, this is just. Yeah, come it's on, mystical Steve. porn. It's ridiculous. Mystical porn, Yeah. yeah. It's ridiculous. And he's upset that the, he's been interrupted. <laughs> and then he greets the Hulk and Ch- Nighthawk Chandu. And, uh, you know, Stevens. all, you know, he says that, uh, uh, the, the caption box at least says, Annoyed, but ever the gracious host, Doctor Strange adjourns to the parlor. And so, you know, he's very annoyed <laughs> with the fact that he's been interrupted from his recreational porn And then, uh, you know, you've got Nighthawk admiring Stephen's, you know, demon statue collection. And Uh um, he shows, you know, uncommon knowledge of these demonic statues. And Stephen's surprised. So this is the first hint that Stephen gets that everything's not kosher with our buddy Kyle Richmond here. Because suddenly he shows knowledge of these mystical statuettes.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Mr. Gracious Host comes in and Nighthawk asks an innocent question. How did you come to acquire this, you know, the the statue? And Mr. Gracious says, a gift. No more need be said. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Very gracious of him. He's kind of just like, mind your own business. Cuts
0: off the conversation (laughs) right at that. None of your business, he
1: might as well have said.
0: (laughs) And then the Hulk, man, ever, you know, (laughs) the the soul of conversation. He says, enough talk about stupid rock. Men kill Bambi's mother. And then the funniest panel in the whole book, Billy, uh, Jack Norris and and Valkyrie walks in from the fair where Valkyrie's sporting these two stuffed animals that Jack won for her. (laughs) They've got these smiles on their faces. And you know, Jack walks in and he says, good grief, Doc. Don't tell me you took the Hulk to the movies. (laughs) He's sprouting on about Bambi and stuff. And then, you know, everybody's there's this happy little panel where even Stephen is smiling, where everybody's just like fawning, pardon the pun, fawning over this deer. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Chandu, you know, he sees that, okay, this this is his moment. Everybody's distracted by this deer. He's where he wants to be. So now this is, correct me if I'm wrong, but, Lee, but at this point in time, it's still just a scheme to sort of loot Doctor Strange's Sanctum Sanctorum or something, because Chandu decides to attack the Defenders en masse. I mean, the Defenders being at their full strength and Chandu being just Chandu. He's got delusions of grandeur here, man, because they haven't been doing their research. They don't really know who Stephen Strange is. They know the Hulk, but they don't know Valkyrie. He's just using his mystical might to attack them and freezes them in ectoplasm mm-hmm. and then decides to, you know, keep them standing there in his ectoplasmic, you know, shield while they're seemingly unable to move and he decides to to exit and call the rest of the headmen to return with him to presumably, I don't know, at this point in time, loot the sanctum sanctorum or use the defenders as some in some weird, you know, experiment. It's never quite clear what their intentions are, right, Billy? I mean, in issue 21, yeah. it was clear because they wanted money. <laughs> they wanted mm-hmm. diamonds to fund their experiments. But but now they're sort of just, okay, we got to take out the defenders because we're a super team in our own right now, a super villainous team. So, you know, you've got this great of, a few panels where I talk you know, Uh, leers evilly and says I'll return have no fear thinking that he's immobilized the defenders and he flies off and then Stephen just casually strolls out of his ectoplasmic prison (laughs) he just effortlessly like they describe strolls out of the barrier and Mm -hmm. Stephen's like all sarcastic and in air quotes he's like saying paralyzed indeed (laughs) you too (laughs) my friends come out And he just, (laughs) with a gesture, he banishes this ectoplasm. And then uh, Hulk says, what happened? Bird nose do magic trick. (laughs) (laughs) So Steven's immediately onto this guy. And he says, that's not the true Nighthawk. Let's follow him. So then Billy Nighthawk's flying off, all gloating and saying, I bested the defenders. And he's immediately confronted by Steven and Valkyrie on her flying horse and the Hulk leaping. Up and and they've got Jack Norris tagging along. I mean, <laughs> come on, what use is this guy going to be? Unless his his first name is Chuck, he's yeah, really. not going to be much use to the defenders here. It's and Chuck's then, cousin, yeah, Chuck, well, hopefully, I mean, Jack has shown some bravery. I, I'd give that for him. Later on, we'll see some more yeah. ridiculous bravery that I can believe he agreed oh. to. Right, Billy, you know what yeah. I'm hinting at. But uh-huh. yeah. then this mystical battle ensues. Now, um okay, I. I'll grant you, Billy, Chandu gets the best of the Hulk and Valkyrie, right? He sort of, like, mystically slams them out of the sky. But Mm -hmm. even though they're falling, Stephen, strange, he just leaves them to their own devices. He says, try to land safely then. Leave this battle to me. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Billy, okay, now, Stephen's arrogance is, is earned because this is the most ignominious smackdown of a would-be sorcerer ever and i'm talking about yeah. chandu here stephen mm-hmm. just schools him into why he's the sorcerer supreme yeah. now are you going to describe this battle for us because this is just jaw-dropping
1: yeah there's almost like a scene where it looks like they're in you know almost on the astral plane but they're not almost like an outer space or something like that and they're going, well, no, he does these say when he goes past the bounds of physical reality. So, yeah, so maybe it is like the, you know, like another dimension or something like that where nobody will get hurt. And right away, uh, Chandu slash Nighthawk knows he's in big trouble. So he pops <laughs> a pill. And it says apparently like because earlier when they showed him getting his powers juiced up in the uh, what was it, black rain issue? which this creeps me out because I'm not a big fan of syringes, and they stuck a syringe in his head, like from the top of his head, and jacked his head full of this drug. Well, apparently they've synthesized it uh, in the last 10 issues into pill form. Yeah, and he pops a pill and really starts going ape thinking that he's going to be so tough now. And like you said, the doc just slaps him down pretty easily. He does get the doc to pause for a second because he conjures up an image of you know, all of his... uh, friends and it shows clea wong uh val uh chuck norris's cousin jack and the hulk and it's you know he's trying to like basically trying to like you know trick the doc and show like these almost like effigies of them but it lasts all of about two seconds you know he, he tries all the tricks he knows but he's basically a novice compared to dr strange so like you said the fight doesn't last long at all and he gets slapped down and at this point dr strange is thinking Hey, I'm gonna let loose on this guy, because this isn't the real Nighthawk. So, you know, we know how the doc is. He's not he's got no beef with killing. He's killed other extra-dimensional beings and stuff before. Anybody that's listened to us talk about the Marvel premiere, Doctor Strange. He's he's killed people. So he really lets loose on, you know, what he thinks is an what he thinks is an imposter. But then when they unmask him, they're like, oh crap, it really is Kyle Richmond, aka Nighthawk.
0: Yeah, yeah. You see, the thing is, um, uh, Stephen, you know, never never want to sort of shy away from, from hurting friends. <laughs> he, he barely <laughs> keeps himself in check. He does admit to the fact that since this guy is in Nighthawk's body, he doesn't really want to hurt the body. But then that doesn't matter. Like you say, he, he reaches the point where he's just saying, okay, enough of this. And then he sort of nonchalantly insults the guy by saying, Oh, um, your spell is so feeble, so easily broken. And then he says, variations on such a spell is pointless. And then he just like throws the spell back at him. And he uh, takes out Chandu in no time, you know, no time whatsoever. And then Chandu's unconscious. And then Stephen takes him out of this alternate reality, this dimension where he shunted them off to presumably to to save fan- Manhattan from the energies they were about to unleash. Right. So Stephen just quickly created his own yeah. battleground and then he he flies out with unconscious Chandu Nighthawk and they deposit him on the roof, but they take off the mask. And at this point in time, they thought that it's an imposter in Nighthawk's costume, but it turns out to be Nighthawk himself. And now Billy, when they take off his mask, do you see on his forehead, there are stitches. Can you see mm-hmm. that? It's yeah. in the on the final page showing yeah. that he had that, brain transplant right so Mm -hmm. why they don't comment on that (laughs) you know and and why they don't realize that because you know later on as the story progresses they're trying to call in damon hellstrom they call in lots of mystical Mm -hmm. uh, ways to determine what happened and then just at the very very end they they reach the conclusion that it was brain surgery (laughs) even though you can see the stitches frankenstein monster-like stitches on his head Mm -hmm. oh man it's weird but then we've got this great introduction to this next issue where Gerber says, um, Next, Nighthawk's exorcism. Carl Richmond's life story. The fourth head person. As the mystery <laughs> deepens even further and the defenders play that popular parlor game, Musical Minds. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a variation on musical chairs, which we're going <laughs> to see is actually exactly what's going to be happening. What... Yeah. Okay, Belisa. Then we get into issue 32.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, as yeah. hinted, Damon Hellstrom is called in. He appears on the very first splash page of issue 32. Oh, it's
1: incredible too, by the way. Yeah, oh. this is
0: a great, great splash Woo. page. She's got Hellstrom mm-hmm. t- attempting an exorcism on Carl's body here. But you know what a good play? Uh, what a good um, panel, oh, mm. page I should say. Wow. So this is now Sal Bishema inked by Jim Mooney. mm Hmm. And, um, yeah, so you've got some great uh, caption boxes also quickly catching the reader up on what happened in the previous issue. Mm -hmm. And then you've got Damon Hellstrom exclaiming, rise, thou whose presence cloaks the soul of Kyle Richmond. Rise and be gone. (laughs) (laughs) But it doesn't happen. Right. Mm So um, he, he admits to Doctor Strange that this is not a case of possession. And he sort of leaves. And Mm Doctor Strange says thanks. They had to, you know, try all possibilities. But then he resorts to the Eye of Agamotto. And as we know, the Eye of Agamotto reveals all. So why they didn't just do this in the first place, right, Billy? (laughs) Dog, (laughs) It's just, okay, we got to get... Gerber was probably thinking, we got to give Damon Hellstrom a cameo, you know, because eventually I'm thinking of adding him to the roster. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I think so. I think that's what they were thinking there.
0: Yeah. So eventually, as we all know, Halström does become a defender and one of my favorite members. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and Damon Halström is one of my top favorite, five favorite Marvel Bronze Age characters. So, you know, I'm so glad that, you know, we did see him in these early issues. Yeah. But, you know, then, um, you know, while they're determining that this is Chandu the Mystic, who's in uh, whose brain has been transplanted into Kyle's head, you know, mm-hmm. um, you've got, um, Jack Norris, recognizing the face of Chandu that appears mystically superimposed on Kyle's true face. He says, now this is a really crazy coincidence. <laughs> Listeners, listen to this. Uh, mm. Jack's trying to re- you know, recall where he saw this guy's face and he's saying, wait, I've got it. The Vermont State Fair. Val, <laughs> no, Barbara, you remember it was on our first date. Come on, you couldn't forget that night. Mm-hmm. Wonder what happened yeah. that night, folks. Uh, they went to the state fair. They saw Chandu the Mystic. They went to a Bernie Sanders rally. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> He's in Vermont after all. So you know, Barbara <laughs> Norris or Val, Valkyrie she says, "But, but I'm sorry. I'm I'm afraid I completely." And then Jack says, "All of it? The flat tire?" <laughs>
1: Yeah, what does he mean by
0: that? Your father's threatening to kill me, even though I finally got you home at 4 (laughs) a.m.? Val, come on, the sideshow sideshow magician? Jesus. Yeah, he
1: keeps going off and off and off, and Doctor Strange is in, like, a a trance.
0: With the eye of Agamotto floating spectrally in front front of him, giving me goose Mm. flesh, damn. And then, Mm. you know, listen to this, Jack says, make yourself remember. You said his name sounded like a cheap perfume. (laughs) Chandu, <laughs> Chandu, that was it. You said his act had the right fragrance for his name. What the hell? Oh my gosh. Damn. And then, you know, you got Chandu's real name being dropped by Doctor Strange, who's now read his mind, Harvey Schlemmerman, you know, known <laughs> on stage as Chandu. And Hulk just saying, where is Birdnose? <laughs> and the doctor. Precisely. <laughs> Precisely. And then you you cut to the very next page where, in fact, we do get a glimpse of Birdnose, or at least his yeah. brain, in a bowl of, of life-preserving chemicals. Now, this is not even a brain in a jar, folks. This is just a brain in a bowl filled with chemicals so this is Nighthawk's brain drifting now there's no way that these chemicals could keep his brain his brain alive this is just comics folks so just suspend your disbelief if there are any neurosurgeons out there you know just take this with a hefty mountain full of salt and then you know you've got Dr. Arthur Nagin toying with this brain in this in this bowl right (laughs) like prodding Mm -hmm. it and and he says it would be so easy just to give it a little squeeze.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and Billy, now this might be the greatest reveal of a next villainous team member ever, where the door opens while Arthur and 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 Dr. Jerry Morgan is arguing, mm-hmm. and we just see Ruby Thursday step through this door in all her glory. <laughs> Cue the Rolling Stones song. Yeah. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, this is Thursday, not Tuesday, folks. And uh, <laughs> uh, Dr. Arthur Nagin, he's he's reveling in this reveal because it seems that shrunken bones, Jerry Morgan was completely unaware that Dr. Nagin had recruited a fourth member. And he says, Jerry Morgan, meet Ruby. I believe you'll agree she meets the qualifications for joining a group called the Headmen because of her massive red bowling ball head. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh man, and then you know she's sh- showing off her power, right? She's shape changing, and basically, folks, this head of hers—this—it's like a synthetic computer, but it's made of a malleable plastic that can assume any form she desires. And mm-hmm. her motivation, Billy, can you remember what her motivation is? Like the headmen yeah, want she- to experiment, but what does she want to do?
1: Yeah, and they do go over it again in, in one of the issues that I'm going to summarize. But yeah, she says that basically she wants to join the headman. Because she wants everybody on the planet, I'm assuming, to have a head like hers. Exactly. Now, what sense that makes, I don't know. Like, because, okay, (laughs) then what? You know, what's the end game there? That's it?
0: Well, obviously, she she views herself as a vast improvement over the human race because, well, she kind of, I mean, in in power alone, she's capable of taking on the defenders solo, right, Billy? So, yeah, Mm -hmm. it is an improvement, but, but whoa. Not by much, unless you think that's the height of fashion, you know, having this giant crystal ball head, which mm-hmm. she obviously loves, and then you know cut to another crystal ball where Stephen is in his sanctum sanctorum, and he's using this orb, this all-seeing orb, to determine mm-hmm. the, the the whereabouts of uh, the the real Kyle Richmond, or at least of his brain. But he's stuck in limbo, he's in this nightmare dimension, or at this crossroads. Uh, that Stephen can see in this limbo-like realm, so Stephen says, "Yeah, this obviously means he's not on the earthly plane, but you know, he's the you know the answer lies with surgery, not sorcery, <laughs> which is <laughs> apt for Doctor Strange to say. I mean, obviously he specializes in both." <laughs> and then they decide to track the headmen to their lair. Now something happens here, Billy, that we're not privy to as readers, until the next issue. But this is the craziest thing ever. Remember, listeners, who's walking around the Sanctum Sanctorum at this time? The little deer that Hulk has adopted. The little fawn. He's still there. The, 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 the mascot. The mascot of the Sanctum Sanctorum. The the, the, the mm-hmm. pet. The resident pet. And then Stephen does some magic, and they decide to go. But before they, they, they leave, Stephen turns to Jack Norris and says... Uh, I have a plan of sorts, but I shall require your aid. Mr. Norris, are you willing? <laughs> Jack just, he doesn't know what he's in for, Billy. He just agrees. He says, me? Well, sure, <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> and yeah. then the next panel just shows them flying off and Nighthawk is accompanying them, but he's wobbling. He doesn't quite know how to fly. So come to your own conclusions, <laughs> listeners. But Billy, I don't know if we should spoil it right at this moment. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You get a lot of flashbacks then of stuff that happened to Kyle Richmond. I mean, it shows him as a child and growing up, but the entire time it's showing these things, he's in the Nighthawk uniform, which is bizarre. But um, that's that's what you see going forth through the rest of the issue here is basically a flashback to, you know, his life and showing that even though, you know, he has a lot of money. He's had a really weird, crazy, and not fun life. He's had a tough life.
0: <laughs> yeah, we don't have to go into his origin too much. Uh, suffice it to say that you know he was an underachiever in school, and you know he always got by because of daddy's influence. Uh, but he was eventually drafted by the military at gunpoint <laughs> 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 after he was kicked out of this principal's office for you know drunk driving and got getting his girlfriend killed. Yeah, uh, he was forcefully recruited, you know for presumably vietnam right this was uh, his oh, yeah, service in vietnam so. yeah and yeah, then sure. you know he was uh, during the medical examination captain america style steve rogers like he was mm-hmm. rejected he was labeled 4f because of a heart murmur <laughs> <laughs> and then you know his dad died in a plane crash so he inherits the company and the money and he refused to have anything to do with the business side of things and he he did got his Presumably, Bruce Wayne style got his, uh, you know, scientific researchers from Richmond Industries to uh, develop a sort of a formula to cure his heart murmur. And that formula resulted in him gaining the strength of two men at night, hence the name Nighthawk. And then this this is a very Crazy admission, right, But He says, you know, he was just jet-setting between finding a cure for his heart murmur, but that was boring. So he joined a supervillain team, the Squadron Sinister. (laughs) (laughs) Now, listen, folks, the Squadron Sinister are more than just a supervillain team. They are genocidal maniacs.
3: (laughs) Uh Kyle
0: joined them? What the hell? And then, obviously, you know, that led to him... You know, reforming and uh, becoming a part of the Defenders. You know, that's that's probably a storyline we'll we'll cover too, right, Billy? But basically, the Defenders that have had, um, you know, before this time, they've had two major confrontations with the Squadron Sinister, and they've bested them uh, in every one of them. And um, you know, so I, I love those issues. You know, with the Hulk against Hyperion and Doctor Strange against the Doctor Spectrum. It's it's cool, just cool, right, Billy? It is. Yeah, it's fun. But that led to Kyle sort of joining their Defenders.
1: Yeah, it's almost like the Defenders versus the evil Justice League.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, exactly, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, way back in in the Avengers in the 60s, the late 60s, Roy Thomas had already introduced mm-hmm. the Squadron Sinister as for that purpose, you know, to be a,
1: yeah.
0: a foe of a Justice League team battling the Avengers.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so, you know, Nighthawk being the, you know, the version of the Marvel Universe version of Batman. Um, so... You know, um, but then his origin sort of ends, you know, with him joining the Defenders, and then he's still stuck at this this subconscious crossroads, which Doc Strange observed in the all seeing orb, and then mm-hmm. you, we've got the next section where the Defenders arrive in the same suburban area that the Hulk frequented earlier when he totaled that guy's <laughs> house and watched the kids playing hopscotch and stuff. Remember Billy? So <laughs> Westbury connect Connecticut, right? That's yeah. the, the name of the suburban, uh, uh-huh. a, a place. And then, uh, they just walk up to the headman's door and ring the bell. <laughs> <laughs> the dark stranger saying, oh, keep it civil. We don't want to brawl. We, we can handle this as intellectuals by talking about it. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And what happens then, Billy? Man, this is a crazy scene.
1: You see a woman open the door that you've never seen before. Um, But it actually turns out to be Ruby kind of uh, in her disguise. Because, of course, she can change her head to, you know, look like anything. So she makes it look like a normal woman. She lets them in and then creates some kind of insane explosion. That levels everybody in the defenders, knocks them completely unconscious.
0: <laughs> yeah, her head literally explodes, uh-huh. and uh, that's what knocks the defenders out. And you know when, and then her head reassembles itself into this flying red, you know, uh, orb, orb, and then <laughs> globe it, or something. Yeah, this globe, and then it reattaches itself on this neck brace she has. And then, you know, um, you, well, the Headmen are really impressed with their new member because uh, Jerry Morgan even says, how did you take them out? Even the Hulk? Mm-hmm. And then Dr. Arthur Negan quickly explains because you must have, at this point in time, there must have been some readers that were like, how, how the hell is this possible? How can the Defenders be taken out with one, like, explosion? And then, especially the Hulk, I mean, he survived nuclear explosions, right, Billy? So then right. Arthur Negan quickly steps in with an explanation for the readers. He's saying, oh, <laughs> That was a kind of anti-gamma radiation, Jerry, generated in that lovely, brilliant head of hers. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! And then that the issue ends. Okay, so yeah. Billy. Now, before we get into the next part, we're going to have you provide your synopsis of issue thirty-three and thirty-five. Uh, but you know, this leaves us with the defenders in the clutches of the headmen. Basically, yeah. they've been captured by the headmen. So, um, yeah, I'll let you take it from here, Billy. Lead the way. Well,
1: here's what I'm going to do, though, first, because the way I have it kind of set up, you're going to need to know something that we talked about that happened off-panel with Jack Norris and the Doc when he said that he needs Jack's help. So let's just quickly explain that. So when the Doc said he needs Jack's help, what he did was he had Jack and the Fawn... (laughs) 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 and Nighthawk slash Chandu, Nighthawk with Chandu's brain, they had subdued him. He has the three of them sitting right next to each other and waves his hand around and mystically takes (laughs) Chandu's consciousness out of the brain that's in Nighthawk's body, puts it into the fawn, (laughs) and then he takes Jack Norris's consciousness and puts it into Chandu's brain that's in Nighthawk's body. (laughs) (laughs)
0: So, <laughs> Hence the name Musical Minds, the musical yeah, think chairs. think
1: about that for a minute. So for the rest of the story here, you're going to have Jack Norris's body laying just on a table, unconscious, in the Sanctum Sanctorum. The fawn, for the rest of the story, is going to have Chondu's <laughs> consciousness in it. And then Nighthawk has... Uh, Jack Norris's consciousness, consciousness in it. So, all right, now let's. <laughs> here we go with issue thirty-three.
0: <laughs> the craziest uh, issue yet, listeners. So, Billy, yeah, uh, give this, us this that synopsis.
1: <laughs> yeah, so it's Webbed Hands, Warm Heart is the name of the story, and it begins with the Fawn, aka chandu watching a scene unfold through the Orb of Agamotto. The Doc, Val, and the Hulk are strapped down to a table, with Ruby, Nagin, and Morgan leering over them. Nighthawk, with Jack's consciousness, is also there, but they are unaware it's now his consciousness in that brain, and not Chandu's. Nighthawk slash Jack is trying to figure out a way to save his friends without revealing he's not Chandu anymore. Meanwhile, in Central Park, we see two young lovers get abducted by aliens. More on that later. <laughs> <laughs> Back at the headmen's HQ, they think their machine put the heroes in their thrall, but are mistaken. The defenders break loose and a massive brawl erupts. Eventually, the Hulk brings down the entire building. Nighthawk slash Jack swoops in to grab Nighthawk's brain and flies it to safety. The defenders then renew their attack on the headmen, but Ruby uncorks some kind of adhesive from her bizarre head, stopping them in their tracks. The next issue opens with a mugging in the USSR, but it's quickly stopped by the new red guardian, Dr. Tanya Belinsky. She quickly swoops back to her apartment and answers a call from Dr. Strange. She agrees to come to America to help with the surgery to put Nighthawk's brain back in his head. Over at the Headman's alternate headquarters, Because their main headquarters was destroyed. The fawn slash Chandu shows up, and Nagin and company have an idea about how to help him. Back at the Heroes HQ, the surgery was a success with Nighthawk. Chandu awakes after his procedure and finds out he's been turned into a monster. He goes on a rampage at a construction site and attempts to murder Valkyrie. After a huge fight, Val ends up knocking him unconscious. But as she attempts to leave, the police inform her that she's under arrest. Okay, so now we can get down to the nitty-gritty.
0: <laughs> oh man, Billy, okay, brilliant summary. That was not an easy issue to summarize because so much happens, and this is where you know um it gets really confusing. Because you remember, listeners, I said very early on in the beginning of the show, there's so many incoherent storylines introduced in here where you kind of have to wait for the payoff but there's also kind of uh, you you got to play the detective here because you got to figure out listen what happened why was nighthawk flying so erratically in the previous issue (laughs) and now the answer is given dr strange like you said um played mind switcheroo with the fawn (laughs) and with chandu in nighthawk's skull And with, uh, obviously, Jack Norris. So Jack Norris is now in uh, Nighthawk's body, but occupying Chandu's brain. Chandu's in the fawn. So now, Billy, one of the greatest panels in Defenders history, the opening panel where this fawn, he just gazes in sheer hatred at this crystal ball and at the events transpiring within it. This is Chandu stuck in the deer's body, absolutely livid with rage pissed off off that (laughs) dr strange (laughs) you put him in this deer and uh oh man then we've got a couple of panels that sal buscema illustrates brilliantly where this fawn just looks evilly at every single thing in the sanctum sanctorum now why it doesn't go ape and just kicks off all dr strange's statue collections (laughs) and i don't know but it it's sort of it almost hints that it wants to do that, like just wreak havoc in the Sanctum Sanctorum. Yeah. But so it just walks around, <laughs> looking all pissed off. Now, listeners, I'm going to post all of these images on the the blog, Sinkintotheweird.com. So just do yourself a favor and check them out if you don't know them already. This evil little uh-huh. deer <laughs> walking around the sanctum, pissed as hell. Oh,
1: the the caption the caption box above that one panel where it's like. Like you said, the deer looks like it wants to like kill someone. The caption box, livid, furrowed brow, pulsing with the ache of savage loathing. The deer recalls the sequence of events which led to him to this state. And they basically do like a recap. Like you get, what, is it what, two, three? Yeah, basically three pages. I'm sorry, four pages A recap where it just goes through everything. And then that is where you actually see the panel of where the doc's...
0: Switch Switches minds, yeah. The
1: minds, yeah, with Jack, Nighthawk, and chandu and the deer. It's it's great.
0: Yeah, man. <laughs> I'm telling you, oh, it, this is probably one of my say? favorite Defenders issues <laughs> of all time. This one. Absolutely. and then You know, you've got the deer trying to escape the sanctum by trying to open the doorknob with his mouth, and then it fails <laughs> and falls back down, and then you see... The ultimate expression of hatred. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. that one panel where he gets up and he can't get out of the sanctum. They say, "Um, very well, if he cannot open the door, there must be some other means of egress. And he'll find it and claim his revenge. (laughs) 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 The revenge of the fawn.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh,
0: craziness. Fawn of the dead. No I'm telling yeah, you I,
1: I can't imagine,
0: and then the, you know the alien abduction panels are just as 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 odd right Billy just as as bizarre, yeah. basically you've got these um uh creature from the black Lagoon rejects kidnapping people on behalf of this alien flying saucer, which which uh-huh. looks more like a flying submarine, <laughs> which, which Gerber yeah. comments on he's saying, "Is that a submarine nay <laughs> is it a u-boat yeah. it's not a u-boat, okay." <laughs>
1: Well, let's just say it's not a U boat. Yeah. <laughs>
0: and then, you know, you've got uh, the headmen convening. Now, at this point in time, the headmen think that Chandu is in control of Nighthawk's body. They don't know that this is Jack Norris, right? So mm-hmm. you've got uh, Jack Norris, Chandu, being introduced to Ruby Thursday. And then Ruby takes a shine to him, right, Billy? A shine, like her <laughs> shiny head. And she, uh-huh. you know, sort of transforms her malleable plastic head into two giant red lips and just lays it on him. Smack! Right there, around their (laughs) round table. And she's saying, please accept this expression of my wish that we grow to become close associates. (laughs) And she even says, I find your body intriguing. Jeez. (laughs) Learn how to flirt, Ruby, damn it. So then, you know, you've got Jack trying to keep the headman from realizing he's not Chandu. <laughs> There's this awkward panel yeah. where, where they say, come on, let's let's plan our next move. What do you think, Chandu? And Jack has to come up with something. So he's, in a harebrained act of super villainy, he says, well, you know, Dr. Strange does magic tricks. He's fun at parties. <laughs> And there's a girl on a flying horse. uh, So if you ever needed some quick cash, we could rent the horse out at county fairs. (laughs) (laughs) That's his idea of coming up with a supervillain plan. So the the headmen just think that he's joking. And then they they admonish him for that, right? But Ruby's saying, oh, I like his sense Mm -hmm. of humor. (laughs) So, you know, then he manages to, like, you know, dissuade their suspicions and then you know they sort of give a quick recap of of what their purposes are because it seems at this point in time Billy all of them all of their goals are at odds with one another right Ruby wants to replace everybody's head with a a giant plastic globe Dr. Arthur Nagin he wants to get revenge on the world for scorning his you know radical but evil surgical techniques and Dr. Jerry Morgan just he's just tagging along because he's his head has been shrunk so he's got nowhere else to go right so they don't really have a goal well ruby's the one with the most uh obvious goal right well
1: yeah i mean Negan at one point says you know they want to seize this mad planet by the throat and force it to submit to our control but that's his that's pretty vague and that's <laughs> that's about all you get out of him and then they each say about their how their heads became uh you know, almost like a quick little personal history of how their heads became messed up. And, yeah. But yeah, they never really say, yes, we want to do X, Y, and Z. Because I'm thinking to myself, okay, even if they said we're going to take out the Defenders, it's like, okay, you still have the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, Iron... You know, I mean, you have like how many other heroes? Yeah. So it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And they never really even come out and say that, that you know, the first thing we're going to do is take out the Defenders. It's just, it's, it's bizarre.
0: Yeah, it's really bizarre. <laughs> There's no you know, there's no purpose in mind. Basically, okay, world domination no. is probably the end goal, but they don't really have anything to show for it so far other than having beaten the defenders. You know, but the defenders is far from <laughs> you like you say, the, the the main superhero team in the world, so this is probably their first step towards world domination, but man, they're gonna have to seriously <laughs> up their power. But Ruby, man, Ruby on her own is pretty, pretty powerful. But that's not gonna help yeah,
1: she's, them. She's already flattened the hole defenders team so but then oh the best is when after the three say what they think is going to you know going to happen they turn to nighthawk who they think is is chandu and say say and now and now it's your turn what do you want and he thinks to himself uh the key to the john maybe i think i'm gonna be ill <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh man that's brilliant that's brilliant and he's sweating you can really see he's like cue the fawn yeah and then the Fornia jumps through the window of the Sanctum Sanctorum, and escapes into the streets of New York, only to be kidnapped by one of the creatures from the Black Lagoon, and then you know, basically, abducted and and taken to this UFO U-boat submarine-like vessel. But you know, we we cut to this other-dimensional island, right, Billy, uh, where uh-huh. this there's this this collection of folks that have been kidnapped by these creatures. And they're standing around some strange machinery, and this old lady's constantly saying, This architecture, it's Greek. I tell you, it's Greek.
1: <laughs> right. And so it's its just a bunch of random people and, and animals, a horse, a giraffe, <laughs> an, and elephant. an
0: elephant, and an eagle. An eagle. It an looks eagle. Like. <laughs> and then obviously the fawn. Oh, yeah. man. And then, you know, they've been, and then it's just the fawn is magically transported there. And then, mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah people are 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 surprised that there 's a new addition, and then we cut back to uh-huh. the defenders so so for for the moment folks listeners we don 't know yet why these folks are being kidnapped and why Gerber's showing these these uh these alien abductions uh, but now it 's been linked to the fawn, so you know chandu's there basically in the body of the fawn he 's been kidnapped yeah. by this alien, so you know something 's going to come from that, and then you 've got mm-hmm. the headmen, um cut back to the headmen in their head, in their headquarters. <laughs> Um, removing these restraints from the defenders. Now, I don't know why they did this because immediately the defenders are up and about ready to to tussle, to throw down with these guys. And then Dr. Strange restrains the Hulk saying that we have not come here to fight. We've come here for Nighthawk's brain. But as soon Uh as they mention that, Ruby goes absolutely nutsoid and she lashes out with these tentacles emanating from her Uh globular head. And she takes out Steven by choking him so that he can't uh, you know say any incantations. She takes out Valkyrie and then Dr. Negan gorilla tackles her, body slams her or clothes line, <laughs> lines her. Hulk uh-huh. has still got the magical restraints on his hands, but he's using that as a as sort of, you know, boxing gloves.
3: <laughs>
0: and then uh-huh. he smashes the ground and the whole place collapses. Now Billy, here's another funny panel. Folks, remember we mentioned this neighbor that Hulk, you know, pissed off by totaling his house. This neighbor has just taken out a second mortgage, mortgage and he started yeah. to rebuild his house, his home, when Dr. Nagin's house collapses next to his house. And yeah. then this neighbor in the most horrific display of, uh, you know, uh, what what do you call it, sadism?
1: Well, he basically has like a breakdown, a mental breakdown. Yeah,
0: he's got a nervous breakdown, and he's saying like, uh-huh. "Oh, it's he's done it again from the inside out," and he's laughing at the fact that his neighbor's house has collapsed this time and not his. And and his wife even you know, berates him. She says, "Horrible, George! How can you laugh at this?" Poor Doctor Negan was in there, and this guy just you know still racked with fits of laughter. He's saying, "Oh yeah, yeah, let's call the cops!" He he he! Ha ha ha! And at least it wasn't our house. <laughs> Yippee! <laughs> yeah. But of course the defenders have survived, along with the headmen, because Doctor Strange conjured a mystical bubble, a four-shield. And then he decides, okay, now, since, since these headmen are not playing nice, he's going to let the defenders have their fun, right? He says, I'd hope to conduct our business without resorting to a brawl. And then he frees the Hulk, and Valkyrie picks up her sword. And then he says, okay, we're going to take these guys out. But first, talk." Save the brain! <laughs> so, <laughs> so Jack Norris in Nyko Hawk's body takes a dive for this brain on this table. <laughs> it's floating in these chemicals, right, Billy? And he just huh. hightails it out of there full speed. But you see this chemical sloshing out of the bowl
1: <laughs> Right! <laughs> and Nagin's uh, dialogue there is the best. The magician's lost his head, panicked, sent Chandu to perform the rescue. <laughs>
0: Because the headmen still think Chandu's in control of Nighthook's body. They don't know why Chandu Uh suddenly turned on them. And then Negan even says he can't believe Chandu would do this to them. He he sort of, um, you know, uh, his disbelief is evident in the following words. He says, when when he regains his calm, realizes what he's done. (laughs) he's hoping that chandu will come back to them (laughs) it's too late arthur and then ruby like saves the the headman from a smackdown here from a beatdown because she just like you like you mentioned in your synopsis she throws chewing gum at them or something right yeah just just burps chewing gum out of her globular (laughs) head and spews it all over them and they're stuck in this viscous kind of uh, yeah, gum. It's like some kind of glue. Yeah, pink it looks like glue.
3: chewing gum. Yeah, yeah man.
0: <laughs> so um, you, and then you know, just as Naitok, Jack Norris, Chandu, <laughs> you know, sails away through the air with with uh, talk's brain, he's abducted by the alien U boat spaceship. <laughs> he wakes up on this platform after he's been, <laughs> you know, nabbed from the sky by this weary tractor beam. This, yeah. And then he wakes up on this platform and he's confronted by one of the top weird favorites, Billy
2: Nebulon.
0: <laughs> Nebulon the <laughs> Celestial Man with all of his little Creature <laughs> of the Black Lagoon cronies fawning behind yeah. him. And then uh, he's saying, Welcome, Night Hawk, from my friends, the Libderdites of Czar, and from Nebulon the <laughs> Celestial Man. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And like we said at the beginning, if you're reading the issues in a row, this, you know, the next issue 34, this makes sense because they go to that storyline in issue 34 with Nebulon. But then back to 35, it goes right back to the head, man. It's really weird. I'm not sure why Gerber did that. Like you would think it'd be a lot easier just to finish off one storyline and then move on to the other. But he did it this way for some reason.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. Yeah, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah, because the next issue is basically an issue we should discuss by rights on its own, right, Billy? Which is um, the bozo issue, the famous bozos issue. So we're not going to touch on yeah, that, we'll, listeners. A little bit. Maybe. Yeah,
1: one. Yeah, down the road we're gonna do a we'll do a whole Nebulon, you know, episode where you know we talk about his first issue and and then the
0: the bozo storyline
1: just like we're doing with this storyline with the head men here. We'll do that eventually.
0: Yeah, well, basically, all you have to remember is that now Kyle Richmond Chandu, I mean, uh, Jack Norris in Kyle's body has also been abducted by Nebulon. So he's placed with those folks we mentioned earlier in that other dimensional island like Limbo with the Greek architecture. And there the fawn briefly attacks Kyle, right? Because it's (laughs) Chandu. But, you know, we're not going to get too much into that because the the fawn really like hates every single defender it sees now. And then yeah. you know Doc Strange, the Hulk and Valkyrie, they get they free themselves from this goo. And then Billy, just before we go into issue 35, I have to mention this this neighbor who had his house destroyed by the Hulk and whose house is now being rebuilt. He like stands there on the lawn of Dr. Negan's you know cro- uh ruined house and he mocks the defenders right he says you refugees from a danskin factory and then hulk just (laughs) picks up this giant piece of masonry and hurls it at the guy and then the guy ducks (laughs) and the 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 rubble that the hulk threw at him totals his his house that's being rebuilt (laughs) so this is the second time the hulk has destroyed his house and the guy just sinks to his knees and cries He says, two mortgages yeah. on a junk pile, and Doctor Strange is having none of it. I mean, you'd have think he could have magically <laughs> restored this guy's house. No way. He just says, enough, Hulk, Valkyrie, to my side. Let us depart this scene of suburban madness. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and he transports them back to the <clears throat> Sanctum Sanctorum. So, so, believe. then things are going crazy <clears throat> because then they're going to encounter the bozos. So now, right. Billy, I don't know what you want to do. You want to go straight into into issue thirty-five? Yeah, yeah, okay. for sure. Let's yeah. skip to thirty-five now. Now, uh, uh, listeners, uh, be aware that we will cover the Bozo issue down the line. But mm-hmm. um, basically, now the next confrontation that they will have with the headmen <clears throat> is sort of um, just one of their members, and this is what's going to be occurring in issue 35 now Billy are are you gonna set the stage for us as 35 opens like you mentioned in your synopsis we get treated to the new red guardian on the streets of Moscow taking out uh, a mugger and she's gonna play a role because in her secret identity it's um, revealed that she is dr. Tanya Berlinski uh, Uh the world's greatest neurosurgeon Right, mm. she, she specializes in brain transplants basically. <laughs> mm. Which is not a thing yeah. in real life, folks, but it is apparently a thing in the Marvel universe. So <laughs> Arthur Negan can do it and Dr. Tanya Berlinski can do it. So Doctor mm-hmm. Strange calls her up. And then Billy, what what unfolds after that? Well, we
1: see the Hulk in his uh you know he's moping and he's like sitting and waiting, makes Hulk angry. Hulk wants to do something. And he says, Hulk wants to find Bambi. So he's still pissed off that they lost the, the fawn. And then, uh, you know, the doc phones, red guardians, she's going to come over to do the surgery. And the doc finally says, uh, Oh uh, yeah, yes. Jack Norris. Now relax. As my magic lifts your consciousness from the brain, it presently occupies. So he does the switcheroo and he puts, Jack's consciousness back into Jack's brain and head and body. And then, you know, you have Nighthawk's body that's just going to be sitting there in, inert with Chand, Chandu's brain in it. Um, hopefully as soon as Dr. Belinsky gets to America, which seems to happen overnight.
0: <laughs> yeah, she, she just immediately flies. And, you know, you'd have thought that because this being the Cold War era, yeah. you'd have thought that, you know, uh-huh. Russia wouldn't part with their top neurosurgeon so easily. Well, they do send her to America with an escort, but you'd have thought that they would refuse her because this is at the behest of Stephen Strange who called in a favor from a senator or something or some billionaire. The government, yeah. The government. the
1: American government, I was setting up this phone call for hours with my government and I'm thinking, look, man, they would not let her just walk over there because she could just defect and never come back.
0: Well, she does express the desire to defect. I mean, um, even though it's not expressed in in those terms, she's basically saying that I am loyal to Mother Russia, but I would like to extend my stay uh, in uh, the States. And then, you know, uh, Stephen hints at the fact that he will um, help her uh, along those lines because he says, oh, she says that it will take magic to 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 keep her in the States. You know, she's just obviously Uh, it's a play on words, but but Stephen, (laughs) he thinks that's literally so he's literally going to use his magic. To keep her in the states for a while longer, uh, because obviously he respects her because he, him being a neurosurgeon and she's a neurosurgeon, arguably of greater caliber than Stephen Strange, right, Billy?
1: I would um, think so. Yeah, yeah.
0: So he respects her, and he, as a colleague, so he would want to keep her around. And obviously, this being Stephen, he's probably. I mean, look at the look he gives her at the airport, Billy, while the two officials are talking. Are you on that panel? Um, when when he <clears throat> receives her at the airport yeah and she's dressed in a very sexy way <laughs> she's wearing this 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 short uh jacket uh, um or coat but uh, very short and her legs are all exposed and she's wearing this uh, weird fashion choice of a hat which is this giant you know sort of uh a sp- this uh, what what would you call it, Billy? Like it a, looks like
1: an it looks like she took an empty Folgers coffee can. Yeah, and put
0: it on her head. Put it on her head. Yeah, <laughs> that's a difficult thing to describe, but that but you're doing that admirably. <laughs> and it's all in purple <clears throat> with fur. And Stephen gives her this look, man. Check this look at the airport when the two officials are talking to each <laughs> other. And you just know that, okay, this this is, yeah, he, he's got respect for it, but he's always probably, probably going to bone her down the line. <laughs> he's horny. Yeah,
3: he's horny. He's yeah. damn
0: horny with Cleo off gallivanting around, you know. <laughs> don't know where and what dimension he's like lonely. So, yeah, this is Steven turning on the charm. And, you know, then uh, the Hulk's at the zoo looking for Bambi because he's figuring that's the best place. And he almost gets into <laughs> a fight with some cops. <laughs> and then Valkyrie saves him. <laughs> And then he leaps off. He's saying, like, no, Hulk doesn't trust girl anymore. Not when girl helps blue men and not Hulk. (laughs) And Valkyrie says, Hellas, go. Yeah, what? (laughs) As he jumps off. And then, you know, okay, with one thing we forgot to mention, Billy, in the previous issue, uh, Nebulon the Celestial Man, he came into the presence of the deer, of the fawn that that his cronies uh, abducted. And then Uh Chandu, in the mind of the fawn, Mystically hijacked some of Nebulon's power and used that to teleport himself back to the headman in the presence of Nebulon. Yeah. And then Nebulon just took off again. Uh, after yeah, seeing that. Ruby the, Yeah.
1: Ruby hits on him.
0: Yeah, Ruby hits like, on hey, Nebulon. Hey,
1: hey Yeah, she's <laughs> she's really horny too. Her and the doc on a hookup. She's like, hey big boy, why don't you hang around? And he's like, Yeah, no, thanks. And he just teleports away all pissed off.
0: Now, that says a lot, Billy, if even someone as weird as Nebulon just take, takes one look at the headman and think, these guys are too queer for my crowd, I'm out of here. And I mean queer uh-huh. in the sense of weird, not, not you know, weird. Yeah, yeah. LGBT, yeah, weird. Strange. Yeah, yeah. yeah, strange for my taste and he's out of there, mm-hmm. you know, so um, the, basically the fawn is now back in the, you know, the headman, with the headman, but they don't realize, you know, exactly it's Chandu until he uses heat vision to engrave his name on the wall or a sentence, I yeah. am Chandu. <laughs> and then and they... I love how
1: a Gorilla Man grabs him by the throat. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Just bizarre,
0: animal. Oh, man, that's crazy. And Gorilla Man's like, What? Of all the thick witted, inept, your brain is supposed to be a Nighthawk's body. What did you do? Yeah, and then, um, you know, they say, Okay, we can fix this. So Ruby and uh, the dog. Oh, doc... no. They sort of attach these <laughs> nodes these to uh, the phone's brain. Now, I don't know what kind of experiments they were up to in the interim, Billy, since they glued the Avengers, gummed them up with the bubblegum trick, but they've been playing around with some weird science, man, because <laughs> yeah. now you, okay, this is your issue. Tell us what occurred. This is just crazy.
1: So they do this crazy experiment operation, you know, slash operation on him. And as he's waking up, they're like, yes, we've made some improvements. And he stands up and screams, improvements! And he looks extremely bizarre. So this is what the caption box says. He has crimson bat wings spread from his back. A hideous twisted horn protrudes from his forehead. His teeth have become fangs. His tongue, that of a serpent. Clusters of lampreys have replaced his arms. And his legs end in feathers, and a knife, and knife sharp talons. So he looks like it's like an amalgamation of like what one, two, three, four, or five different creatures. And he just freaks out and goes absolutely berserk and has to be restrained by Ruby. And then they kind of calm him down. And then you know we just switch back to the surgery with the doc and uh, Red Guardian.
0: <laughs> now, now Billy, you gotta think: What was Gerber thinking here? Like, how did he? This must be a joke on his part. This must be him playing with comic book conventions, saying that this is as crazy as comic books can go. And it's also Mm -hmm. got a hefty amount of horror because, you know, Billy, at this point in time, 1975, 1976, you know, the the movies of David Cronenberg had already made a a big splash internationally, right? So body horror, body horror was becoming a thing. This is body horror Mm -hmm. to the max because you've got Uh Chandu's head with a unicorn horn and a forked serpent tongue with fangs... (laughs) In a body where he had these lampreys, which are like these eels with these round, razor sharp mouths, four lampreys Uh on each arm. Well, replacing each arm, he doesn't have arms to speak of, Uh with these giant red, leathery bat wings with chicken legs. You know, it's insane, it's crazy. And then dressed in purple. Uh, with a with a yellow belt, but, or with belt, but, <laughs>
1: belt. Well, of course, you know purple is evil, so yeah, of course. <laughs> well, Ruby,
0: Ruby sports purple, yeah. So Ruby must have picked out the the clothes for him. But but this is now what you get when you got the the, the sick twisted minds of Ruby Thursday, Doctor Arthur Negan, and Jerry Morgan all working together to come up with their version of the perfect monster. <laughs> this is this guy, and then they put Chandu's brain in there, man. What the hell were they thinking? And Ruby restrains him from his temper tantrum by lashing out with these red tentacles that she emits from her head. And she's saying, calm yourself. Your brain is immortal. We can put it in any body you desire, right? The brain oh. patterns from the deer we inscribed upon an artificial brain crafted from the same material as my head. So basically his, his brain, which now occupies this monstrous harpy-like form, could be transplanted into any other person's head anybody yeah Yeah. so now chandu's so upset he's the first thing he does is he flies off looking for a normal human body again right (laughs) Uh and then we cut to the scene where dr belinsky and steven are going to perform the operation on uh kyle richmond and they're gonna you know put his brain back in in his skull and then billy what happens like chandu's flying above new york Sinister, with sinister intent. Uh
1: mm-hmm. huh. Yeah, and he attacks a construction worker, whom I'm just assuming he's just thinking that you know, hey, he looks like a, you know, regular Joe, so he's gonna put his mind, transfer mm, his mind yeah. into that guy's body, so he doesn't look like an absolute maniac anymore.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And then he interrupts uh, Valkyrie and Jack Norris's romantic interlude on what is uh-huh. presumably the the top of the Sanctum Sanctorum. I'm not sure, but they're sitting on top of this building. It could be any building, because, you yeah. know, uh, Valkyrie's got her horse back there, so they could have flown up here. And then, you know, um, they're having this romantic conversation where Jack, like, sort of puts his arm around her, and she says, she, she, because she, you have to remember, she's like a Norse uh, myth, mythological warrior woman. She doesn't yeah. you know, conform to our sort of conventions so she's saying why are you interposing your arm between my back and the chimney (laughs) and then you know he's saying well if you route it i didn't she's saying no no it's okay you know and then they're kind of having this romantic moment because she is in barbara norris's body she does feel attraction for him that's been covered you know we're not really going to go over that too much in detail here but you know she's still valkyrie she's still this poster child for woman's liberation (laughs) in this ideal form of the female which I'm all for you, right, Billy? I mean, the, the girls needed yeah. a bit of a role model like that, and even sporting her Madonna uh-huh. cones on her armor, you know, <laughs> her breast cones It's, <laughs> it's just—it looks badass. I'm a big fan of the Valkyrie, but um, yeah, I love her. Here she's like spotting the the kidnapping, where Arthur, oh, where you know Chandu kidnaps this construction worker and, uh, worker, and they immediately follow on Aragorn, right, the winged horse. Mm-hmm. And then Chandu's yeah. so, still seething with hatred towards all any and all defenders. He's just dropping this construction uh, worker and saying, Okay, it's on. I'm going to kill me some defenders. Revenge is nigh. <laughs> and then <laughs> there's this great battle, right, Billy, with him taking on Valkyrie. Oh, yeah. And um, she slashes his wings. At first, there's a bit of a sword fight between his unicorn horn and her sword. Her sword, right? <laughs> Yeah, clang, clang, clang. Oh man, this is great. And then he, it, much is made of the fact that he uses his lamprey arms to injure her. You know, they, they uh-huh. draw blood from her, and then she slashes his wing, and they plummet through the skylight or through the roof of this five star restaurant in Manhattan. <laughs>
1: One of Midtown's most elegant eateries.
0: That's what they say. That's what Gerber says. <laughs> You'd have think Gerber must have frequented this place. <laughs> no, I don't think so. No, no being, way. <laughs> being the person no. he is, he's probably looking yeah. down on these folks. And then, you know, Chandu's got some weird lines too. He's about to take Valkyrie apart, and he says, "You're going to die, woman. I'm going to pick you apart for the entertainment of the luncheon crowd." <laughs> but then Valkyrie sort of mops the floor with him she kicks him the length of the room billy what happens then man this is probably the best takedown in the history of the defenders well how does she take him out
1: and well he comes charging at her with his unicorn
0: horn (laughs) (laughs) extended
1: he's horny like he's going to gore her and she just grabs him by it and like full on like Muay Thai knee right to the face and knocks him unconscious and then she still has him by the horn and she's going to kill him and all of a sudden cops come in and say hold it sister freeze right where you are drop his head or you'll break his neck and she calmly looks at them and says that was my intention (laughs) so he's going to kill him
0: geez this is very wonder woman-esque you know like when wonder woman Uh became a badass in the 1990s and early 2000s where she started willy-nilly killing people um Uh this is sort of you know pre wonder woman valkyrie sort of doing that first but you know then she just drops him thunk onto the the ground just drops his head (laughs) and then she says i'll be on my way and um and uh, the, the cops sort of stop her by saying, sorry, lady, you're not going anywhere. You're under arrest. And then Gerber ends with his with his amazing uh, send-off at the, at the end of each Avengers issue. He's got this great bit of text and the introduction to the next <laughs> issue. I just got to read this, Billy. He says, Valkyrie behind bars, the Red Guardian under fire, Nighthawk gets himself together, more on the Headmen, more on Nebulon, and the macabre menace of the idiot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's how the issue ends. So, yeah, that, that was an amazing bit of uh, superhero brawling, brawling there at the end. But wow, she took him out brilliantly. So, I, I really enjoyed this issue too. But, like I say, my, my favorite issue was still. But this issue, crazy as it is, Billy, with the headman transplanting their friend, <laughs> their so called friend, into the body of this <laughs> grotesque thing. Wow, this was the, my second favorite issue of the entire bit you know the one with the hulk and the rescuing the deer was pretty good too but you know in terms of sheer craziness this one takes the cake
1: yeah for so, sure yeah well, that's that creature it. especially
0: yeah <laughs> that's basically all the stories in a nutshell listeners but wow billy what a trip and by trip i mean trip <laughs> in, in the literal sense and also you know uh, these guys must have been tripping on some heavy stuff wow. when they came up with this yeah. stories what, what yeah, was Sal thought Billy think about it he gets a Gerber script right and he's reading about this insanity and he's like saying oh mm. god how am I going to how am I going to render this okay this is the challenge of my career I got to do this just right and he does but man those scripts must have been off the off the wall yeah especially
1: that creature they put you know Chandu into that is just bizarre man like that is the craziest <laughs> like it just where did they come up with that
0: but listen, man, um, this has been a lot of fun. Now, um, listeners, because this is a longer-than-usual episode because we covered four issues, we're not going to go into too much of our regular segments. We're going to forego our shop talk and our Allies of Agamotto, but we're still going to stick with the Mighty Marvel missteps, and we're going to do our recommendations of Ragador. So, Billy, I'm going to let you go first. After this little break... So I'm going to play something, and then we'll come back, and then you um, have the mic with the mighty Marvel missteps and Bronze Age brilliance.
2: I'm mister Fixit, and this here is my consigulary Diablo Frank, the Lions Cogliostro. Same difference. Spawn is one of the most successful comic properties of all time, with best-selling books, animated series, toy lines, and etc. That stinky movie, all the lawsuits over who has what rights. Don't be a comedian, Frank. We got business to handle. We're here to pimp out our new show, Spawn Talk, about Todd McFarlane's cursed anti-hero on his fight against the forces of heaven and hell in a doomed quest to be reunited with his beloved wife, Wanda. No, the show is called The Spawnometer, named after the countdown clock on Al Sim's hellspawn, supernatural power, and undead lifespan. Yeah, yeah, whatever. And the gimmick is we're covering one issue of the comic per episode in 22 minutes or less, one minute for each page the comic runs. Then we'll briefly look at another Image Comics creator or series in roughly chronological order, reflecting a quarter century of creators' rights opportunities at the greatest publisher in the industry. Then we're going to dump a letter section and some ads at the end of the show, just like Image Comics does. New shows will appear on the Road Spine podcast feed through iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Shout Engine, and the Internet Archive. Until we immediately start blowing our deadlines, just like Image Comics. Shut up. Why do you got to be such a wise guy? That's why you got no friends
0: all right we're back with mighty marvel Mistips and bronze age brilliance let's do the bronze age brilliance first billy what was your favorite bit from all of these issues
1: okay so for me the my favorite bit is without a doubt the fawn and the mind swapping i just you you can't (laughs) like that was the craziest thing i think i've ever read in a comic book that it was crazy but, you know, it made sense and everything worked out in the end. But that's like crazy. I, that is my favorite thing by far. And it's why this is pretty much my favorite story of the Defenders, like, ever.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, then this is going to be a very short segment, Billy, because that's my favorite bit, too. The fact that <laughs> Gerber would use that mind switching and then get the fawn involved, which I don't know how he writes scripts, how he approaches it, but... I'm thinking that this must have developed organically from an idea. He he maybe had the Hulk get the fawn as a pet, and then, okay, then the next part of the story came along, and this was just too good an opportunity to waste, so let's put the brain of this villain into the fawn, and then let's the fawn become evil. Now, you, you, you must think, what happened to the fawn? You know, because after they... I mean, presumably uh-huh. the fawn retained its own subconscious, but Hulk never again mentions the fawn. He never tracks down the fawn again. Uh-huh. So... What, did they kill it? Did they eat it? Did they have some veal? I don't know what they did with the fawn after that, but, <laughs> you know, that's all we hear from the faun after they, they, they take out Chandu's brain and put, put it in that body of the, that crazy harpy-like flying creature. So, um, you know, th- that whole thing is so insane, but you can't help loving it because it's so creative. It's so imaginative. I can't, I can't for the life of me, think how Gerber came up with this. How
1: did he do it? Right. Uh, yeah, you would think he was inspired by something else, well, what was it that inspired him? Because I've never heard of any story like this at all. There was only one thing they did mention, I forgot to mention in my synopsis, too, that at this time, Gerber was also writing uh, Omega the Unknown. Yeah. You and I have talked about that, you know, a little bit before here and there. He was writing, who was it he was writing with that? Uh, Mary Screens. Oh, yeah, 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 Mary Screens. So there was a little caption box after the Hulk jumped away, and you didn't see him for the rest of the issue there at the end. Um, there was a little caption box that said, uh, you know, look for him in Omega and the unknown because he did make an appearance in that little uh, that I almost said not a mini series, but it was like what, like ten issues long. I don't know if it was like a I think it got cancelled, didn't it it wasn't yeah, supposed no it, to be it was only- canceled. It,
0: no, no, I, it wasn't ongoing. Yeah. It was billed as an ongoing yeah. much like nova, you know, um yeah. they they were only launching ongoings back then. They didn't have minis and unless the minis appeared in. Marvel premiere or Marvel comics presents or, or, you know, those titles that featured yeah. there were sort of the tryout titles for new characters. You know, it, I think only when the eighties came around, though, I believe that they start with the minis and the maxi series right. and so forth. But yeah, back then yeah. you're right that they didn't intend for it to, to be a limited series, a finite series. They wanted it to keep going depending on sales. Unfortunately that didn't happen. But you're right. That's why they mentioned that because Gerber was the writer on The Defenders. He was also the writer on Omega. So he decided to, hey, put a quick. Or, or the editor might have done that. I don't know if they shared the same editor, which at this point in time was Marv Wolfman. But, you know, it might be mm-hmm. also Gerber reminding them, yeah, I just mentioned this is where the Hulk went in this issue. But, you know, I didn't like the Hulk showing up in Omega. I wanted Omega to sort of be on his own for a bit. And, you know, yeah. uh, then the Marvel Universe sort of encroached upon the storyline of Omega, which I loved. I loved the storyline, yeah. but when the Marvel Universe proper started showing its, uh, you know, its, um, uh, you know, characters there, yeah. and its presence, I started to sort of become disillusioned a bit and fell off the series. And the same happened with, you know, Jack Kirby's titles later on, like the Eternals and stuff like that, you know, eventually the sales yeah. were not that great. so So they thought, okay, let's inject some of our regular heroes in there to boost the sales. I don't like that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, obviously, what could they do? So, um, you know, Billy, uh, yeah, great that you mentioned that. I I forgot about that. So the Hulk went off on his own for a bit and encountered Omega. And then um, Jack and Valkyrie discussed that on the rooftop, you know, during their uh, attempt at failed romance because it was interrupted. (laughs) But it's going to happen sooner or later, folks. (laughs) (laughs) But
1: you know, at this Uh point in time, yeah, I mean, that's a thing that Gerber puts in there. And it does make a lot of sense. You know, if you think, you know, because Valkyrie is inhabiting that body of uh, Barbara Norris. So she really doesn't, you know, know what's going on. So a lot of the feelings he has for her and stuff like that. It's he does a good job with that relationship there. I mean, eventually Jack gets like kind of pissed off sometimes because. It's not really working out. But yeah,
0: that's but, a
1: that's a good relationship there. I do like that for a while.
0: And remember that in the um in at the start of that you know storyline, Kyle Richmond, thy talk also had a thing for Valkyrie, and um yeah. you know so there's a bit of there was a bit of a lovers triangle, but ultimately she picked Jack just because she felt she had this life that she used yeah. to have with him, and she wants to also have a semblance at a normal life. Maybe it's also a novelty on her part, right, Billy? Because she's from Asgard. At least her consciousness be, yeah. is. And she wants to experience a different kind of life for once. So, you know, it, it might not be love, but it, there's definitely, like she says, a physical attraction to Jack. Whereas mm-hmm. not maybe not so much to Kyle. <laughs> I don't know why, because... <laughs> but, you know, she doesn't go for the playboy type. She did, later on in the Defenders yeah. run, she did sort of uh, start... Start to make eyes on towards Namor. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, man, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. they had this like weird <laughs> scene in the ocean. <laughs> At first, it started on on the back of of, of Aragorn, and then a whale. Yeah, oh, and no, then so on on that
1: whale episode, her issue.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah. So in, anyway, <laughs> folks, we'll get to that down the line. But Billy, this was a a, a lot oh, of yeah. fun. Now you know the only. Uh, do you mind if I go first uh, with, go the ahead, bronze, yeah, yeah. Uh, with the Mighty Marvel missteps? Because uh, Bronze Age Brilliance, we agree on. Mighty Marvel missteps, the only thing I would count as a misstep is if you're a new reader or you're, let's say, someone picking this up off, off the racks for the first time, you're going to be confused yeah. and you're probably not going to come back un- unless you're willing to take the in- insanity at face value. Um, right. which I can't see a lot of readers doing unless you've got some background knowledge on on what's been happening here. But this issue yeah. is very confusing. The first time I read it as a kid, I think I was 10, I'm not sure, 10 or 11, when I read the story arc, I was very confused, Billy, very confused. And yeah. I, I remember liking it quite a bit, but there were things that I had to go back to. That I, I had to puzzle it out. I had to discuss it with my mates. I had to talk yeah. about it. And my friends were not into this comic, like I mentioned in the beginning. They they were not <laughs> reading Defenders. Defenders for them was was crazy. They weren't reading Doctor uh-huh. Strange either. You know, so sometimes I would force it on them, you know, and then, uh, you know, there were a couple of guys who did attempt it and they were just saying, yeah, man, this is crazy. I don't know. I can't, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so talking to them didn't help. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> so eventually, I mean, but I liked it and I kept coming back to it. And then eventually... When I was older, I, I sort of realized, okay, this is what, what Gerber was doing. And yeah. know, once I got a, got a sense of, you know, um, how Gerber plotted and planned and, you know, everything. But I, I remember liking the dialogue quite a bit because Gerber's got a flair for writing dramatically. So, you know, um, and of course the art by Sal Shema, you can't go wrong there. So, you know, you're just, the, the action scenes are remarkably well done. So, Billy, mm-hmm. I'm, I can't really come up with a lot of Bronze Age, yeah, uh, or should I say Mighty Moral Missteps, except for the fact that it is very incoherent and he keeps throwing in you know, pages and panels that don't have anything to do with the, the main plot, but eventually mm-hmm. pay off maybe 10 or 15 issues down the line. So, what about you? For me, I mean... I don't really
1: have a lot because I like you said, I just love this story so much. I can read it over and over again. and there's nothing really that you know I think is a misstep or bothers me or annoys me. But like as like you were saying, if you were a new reader and you came on to this, the first thing that jumps out at me would be probably how there's still that underlying nebulon thing going on. and then there's an issue where it's you know ninety percent nebulon and not really other than the fawn and Nighthawk, any headman stuff there, issue thirty four it doesn't make a lot of sense doing that. And then uh, also how, uh, you know, the whole he waited like a half an issue to kind of explain how the doc <laughs> put Chandu's consciousness into the deer and Jack's <laughs> consciousness into Nighthawk. Like, yeah, that's really not that's that's kind of a little not, I don't want to say it's weird, but it's it's you don't really know what's going on there. And then halfway through the issue, oh, OK, this is what happened. So it takes a little bit to make sense there. So I could see, you know, some people getting turned off by that. But other than those couple of things, it's great.
0: I agree with you, Billy. So, all in all, our favorite Defender story arc, and that's, listeners, why we picked it, to be the very first okay. uh, Defenders arc that we discussed, because we just love, love it to bits. And I uh-huh. hope you get to love it, too, if you don't already. So give it a read if you can. Finally, I
1: thought those two would never shut up. I always considered Umar to be loquacious, but she's nothing compared to these two stains on the windshield of mortality. Even though I could have said no, I agreed to introduce this week's recommendations of Ragador out of sheer boredom. Even though here
3: in the Dark Dimension, we're also practicing social distancing. I haven't seen a mindless one in ages. Their shambling gait, their silent but comforting presence. (sighs) Oh God,
2: I never knew how much I'd miss them. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: Alright, we're back with the recommendations of Ragador. So Billy, what do you have for us this week?
1: Okay, so anybody that follows me on Twitter that's listening to this, you'll know lately I have been uh, tweeting out a lot of images from black and white magazines. And one of my favorites from this era is the Savage Sword of Conan. So I probably only have about mm, maybe 20 issues of those magazines, you know, the original magazines. But I do have two trades also, uh, volume one and two that Dark Horse put out. They put out many volumes, but one and two are the only ones I have uh, collecting that material as well. And uh, if you can get your hands on that material, grab it. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure the trades aren't in print anymore, but I don't think they're going to be expensive either, especially if you find them at a show or even you know eBay or something like that. You'll be able to grab them at a decent price because all uh, oh, the stories are good. Yeah, once in a while, like you think to yourself, you know, if you'd read— Ten in a row. There are some repetitive tendencies with some of the stories, but the artwork is absolutely astonishing. I mean, you you can attest to that, Herman. When you see Big John Buscema, and sometimes it's Ernie Chan, sometimes it's Tony Dizaniga, sometimes it's even Alfredo Alcala. But the artwork is just absolutely mind numbing in these issues. Like you will you will love them.
0: I guarantee it. I agree with you, Billy. No, this: that kind of stuff's our jam. We love mm-hmm. it, and uh, you and I talk a lot about that off mic about our love for the bronze age magazines and the black and white art of those legends so you know definitely something that you listeners can look forward to down the line because you and i are still going to discuss some of those especially vampire Uh tales uh monsters Uh unleashed we could do a couple of those on long box of darkness when i resuscitate that Uh show
2: (laughs) which i'm probably gonna
0: have to do during this uh you know, time of self-isolation and I've got lots of time on my yeah. hands, right, Billy? Uh-huh. But for me, Billy, I decided I, I have been reading lots of uh, back issues, uh, mostly for the show. You know, I've been reading lots of Defenders. I didn't just read the story arc we read now. I read from, you know, the, the Mar- Marvel premiere issues up, um, everything collected from the first uh, five Marvel masterworks uh, so that I could get, you know, my my sense of the Defenders right in my mind again because I actually haven't reread this stuff in a while. But, um, during that time, I also read a bit of, uh, prose and I also read uh, all Marvel superhero related though. Um, this is the particular book that I've been reading that I want want to recommend. I finished it a couple of uh, weeks ago, actually. And this is a book, um, called super black by a writer called Adelie Funama. And, um, Hmm. Yeah, it's called Super Black American Pop Culture and Black Superheroes. Now, Billy, this is a fascinating read. This is in the vein of of books like, you know, uh, what Bill Shelley used to write, you know, on Otto Binder and um, what Jennifer DeRoss did on Gardner Fox um, or Glenn Morrison did in his Super Gods, you know, memoir of his uh, life as a comic book fan in the comic book industry. Um, Also a little bit like Marvel The Untold Story, you know, those kind of books. Um, And this basically chronicles the black experience that this, this writer obviously is an African American and their experience of having superheroes and black superheroes in the 70s or the late 60s, starting with the Black Panther upwards and how that affected them and how they sort of, um, you know, revered these characters and how what a social impact they had. So, you know, you, you've you got essays by this self-same writer on the Black Panther as a character and his uh, impact on comics and uh, obviously Luke Cage Power Man, Black Goliath, Black Lightning over at DC and then John Stewart Green Lantern and, you know, you've got uh, yeah. t- uh, all the way up to the modern age but they sort of focus on the Bronze Age more, I'd say from late Silver Age to... Mid-1980s Bronze Age. That's basically what this book covers. So this guy's obviously our age. He's a fan. He's also a fan of all kinds of superheroes. So this is not written from the perspective of, oh, we were oppressed. Although there is a little bit of that. You know, there is a little bit of Mm -hmm. how white writers sometimes misrepresented black characters like the early brother voodoo stories, you know, Jericho Drum in Savage Tales and stuff like that. You know, how black culture was misrepresented. Everything was voodoo, you know. (laughs) Um, yeah. third world nations practicing voodoo and stuff but um, you know there are very few of those examples basically it's a celebration of black culture and of black superheroes yeah. being a part of that and I've always been a fan of that because you know Luke Cage sort of was one of the very few comics uh, along with Strontium Dog from from 2000 AD um, which opened my eyes to the to the horrors of racism and of apartheid where I grew up you know in the 19... 19- Late 1970s and early yeah. 1980s, we had that in South Africa. And, uh, you know, my family luckily were liberal, but I was reading a lot of stuff and I, I wasn't prone to the information and I didn't really put myself in their shoes until I started falling in love with, with black characters and falling in love with the, the black culture and of the 70s. And, you know, I was a big fan of Jim Kelly, you know, the martial artist. I love Cleopatra oh, yeah. Jones. You and I are big killer fans. Now, that, mm. a lot of that is black exploitation. And that's wrong. But, you know, that kind of had a positive impact on me. Uh-huh. You know, I had a lot of black role models growing up. Now, granted, most of them were yep. American. I wasn't, like, Nelson Mandela wasn't my role model at all, but I didn't even know who he was. I just knew there was this insurgent or something in jail, blah, 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 blah. I didn't know. He, they built him as a terrorist, you know. But I had a lot of black yep. role models growing up. You know, sports stars, you know, boxers, you know, athletes, uh-huh. and then, of course, superheroes. And uh, even some writers, you know, of novels and fiction, you know, Chinua Achebe and those guys. And so, you know, for me, this book really was a fascinating, fascinating read. So I would recommend that to our listeners if they're interested in, you know, um, how black superheroes, you know, affected the minds of of, of folks at the time. And not just the minds of of black society, but also of all comic book readers. Um, So a very uplifting read. Uh, very academically written, but but readable, I would say. So if you don't want to read it, you can also get the audiobook on Audible. But I, I would suggest you get both because it's, it's a great experience. It's got some great images in the book. And uh, yeah, that's it. Super Black, my recommendation for this week. Get out there, buy it, read it. It's awesome. That's a good one. So Billy, that brings us to the end of yet another episode of into the weird. We'll leave the listeners with our contact details as ever. I'll let you go first. Where can the people find you on the interwebs?
1: So definitely look me up on Twitter. Um, I all pretty much live there. So, <laughs> um, it's, at uh, Billy D underscore licious. Uh, and then it's, you know, you can see my awesome avatar of Mr. Peter Cushing, um, and then look for my blog, Magazines and Monsters, every Monday morning, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, a new blog post goes off. There's a, a wacky one going off tomorrow. So definitely check that out. And then, uh, yeah, and then check out the Facebook page by the
0: same name, Magazines and Monsters. Excellent, believe. Thanks, man. Yeah, I always look forward to your blog post, but I don't like it when you spoil it for me, um, you know, off the air after we're done. I like to be surprised when I get the WordPress <laughs> notification magazines and monsters (laughs) and then i check the title and it's always a a pleasure to read and to see what you come up with It's right in my wheelhouse every single time so uh yeah we're we're some we're definitely you and i we share some psychic rapport when it comes to the stuff we like (laughs) so far not you know i haven't really hated anything you've posted so and i say that with all honesty so read that folks folks it's a uh, worthy time to spend your money Oh, or your time i should say worthy way to spend your time <laughs> you're not asking any money yeah, yet right sure. billy no 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 no. <laughs> but no, soon all. <laughs> soon <laughs> yeah just click on the ads folks <laughs> on the site there you go <laughs> and then uh, as for me folks you can find uh, me on twitter at dark long and you can find our show at into weird on twitter as well You can also check out our blog, which is at www.syncintotheweird.com, where I'll be posting the podcast addendum for this episode. And then uh, please send us some feedback. We'd appreciate that. You can email that directly to syncintotheweird at gmail.com. I'll repeat that. That's at syncintotheweird at gmail.com. And before I let you go, folks, I just want to thank again our sponsors, the amazing and eminently um supportive band you know uh, who gives us our very catchy intro song uh, and the song's called in the walls and that is the band seven kingdoms they support us as ever um our staunchest supporters we thank them for uh, their generosity and go out there and buy their albums folks they're definitely worth it so billy with that uh that's it but um uh, I don't know what you're going to be doing now. Probably go to bed. <laughs> I've got uh-huh. the day just starting over here. <laughs> but we'll leave you with a little bit of a message, folks. Read comics. Stay safe. Keep your distance from other people. <laughs> Take care of each other. Don't riot. I'm sure you won't, but you know, there's always that possibility that some you know, tempers run high in supermarkets. And we hope you stay safe. And remember, everybody's a weirdo at heart. They're all part of our... Giant, big, weird (laughs) legion of weirdos.